Hey everybody, welcome to Sanity at the Movies. Stargazing Edition is back for a... In-depth. In-depth takedown of The Rise of Skywalker, although I don't know that this one's gonna get to be three hours or whatever Last Jedi is, because I just don't know how much there is to say about Rise of Skywalker, besides kind of repeating the same litany of failures over and over and over again. Like this movie kind of does. But one... we're gonna do the repetition of the litany. Yes. In as great a detail as we possibly can. Yes, the repetition of the litany, <laughs> and that's the kind of church we're we're planting. By the way, there'll be lots of repetitions of litanies. Yep. Uh, that's not true at all. My name is Nathan. Your humble and obedient host. That's Pastor Jake Menzel right there. Pastor, who's a master of Star Wars. That's me. So. You want to start with overall thoughts on Rise of Skywalker? People can actually listen to our like recorded within an hour of watching the movie on the big screen. Yeah, we saw it for the first time, and then we came straight, uh, straight here, straight directly, straight, mm-hmm. straight directly here, straight here. Yeah. Anyhow, and we recorded an episode. <laughs> right. So you can listen to that. I don't know what we say. I'm, I said I imagine it was similar. It's going to be a lot of the same things. Similar to what we were going to say today, but. With greater detail. Uh, I, I think it's important context to note that Nathan is now watching The Clone Wars for the first time, and he's not very far into it. I've, I'm almost done with season one, which, by the way, go to patreon.com forward sanity at the movies, and you can listen to our in-depth review, very in-depth reviews of Clone Wars, which come out every week behind the paywall there. I, I finished watching... I we I rewatched all of Clone Wars with my kids starting with season 1 back last fall trying to get up to speed for season 7. Mm-hmm. And we we finished season 6 right near the end of season 7 and so we have just finished watching all of Clone Wars. We've gone back and we've rewatched uh, Revenge of the Sith and we rewatched the end of Return of the Jedi. Well so some important things about that. I just watched an episode, which we'll talk about behind the paywall, called, oh, something about Ryloth. Storm know. over Ryloth. Storm over Ryloth. And it's the first episode that is kind of good. I mean, everything else is a lot of fun, and I've really been enjoying it, and you can listen behind the paywall. But it's the first episode where they kind of, you kind of feel them saying, we don't have to make a children's show, we can just make a show. And yeah, so, they fight with that for, I still think they fight with that over the first couple of seasons. Right, and it immediately, the next episode's kind of back to just being a good children's show. But yeah. for a moment there, you're like, oh, these are characters and they're doing things and mm-hmm. Anakin really loves Ahsoka. They've got this relationship and she's in trouble for getting the fleet blown up or something like that. I mean, it's, there's, there's nothing profound about it, but it actually works as a character study and it takes some of the same tropes like the whole the whole first season, it's always Anakin disobeys and Brass is mad at him. Ahsoka disobeys. Like that's that's every episode. But this is right. the first one where they actually deal with it. Like mm-hmm. this is important, and people would have feelings about this, and those feelings would cause them to have actions, and those actions would have consequences. Yeah, it's not just each character has a shtick. Anakin disobeys authority. Isn't that fun? Anakin they... disobeys authority. Sometimes that's fun. Sometimes that's fun. Sometimes it's not fun. Oftentimes it's for the right reason. Sometimes it's for the wrong reason. And we're actually going to ask those questions. And when we have a Padawan that looks up to him and tries and does the same thing and doesn't have the same skill set to just get away with it. Doesn't have the same skill set. Doesn't have the same just overall wisdom to know exactly when to do that. When to bend the rules, when to break them. So 
all of that to say you have characters doing things that have consequences and we have the breathing space to see how that plays out in the clone wars and yeah it can be clunky it can be this it can be that but but as it goes on the consequences get deeper people die things happen um and anakin is driven to the dark side yeah well and And even even in this episode clunkers died or rat face or all all the clones have these really silly names Uh, eh, i like them who died? I don't know. Some guy. He he wasn't important, but it was like, no, somebody died. He may be retroactively important, but he's probably not since I don't remember. Yeah, I don't think he's important. So why are we talking about this? The reason we're talking about this is because... That's the context, like the immediate context I bring. Obviously, if you've listened to any of, a, of our talk on any Star Wars movie, you know that I bring Clone Wars and Rebels context. Right. But it's particularly important here, though, because Clone Wars gets so many things right. And it's particularly what the thing we were just talking about. Obviously, the reason we're talking about it is because we're about to talk about a movie that rushes through everything, makes a big deal of telling you that there are consequences, but not showing you or I, making them feeling. Man, does it make a big deal of telling you there are consequences? It's just so insecure. This is the time when the thing is happening. If we don't do this, then everything that's happened before is for nothing. They say some version of that. Six like, or seven times. I mean, it's it's insane. It is so bad. And, and never once do they make you feel like, oh, no. Nothing is emotionally resonant. The only thing you feel is a little bit of the exhilarating rush of being rushed. Right. Through action scene, action scene, action scene, action scene. Now we all need to stand around in a circle for an exposition dump. Everybody got it? Cool. Action, 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 action. And if we can give the Stand exposition while we run through sand, so much the better. Like, yeah, exactly. We, we, we don't actually want to stop for anything. Because the second we stop, the whole house of cards collapses. And the thing is, like, Star Wars movies have never been great movies. No. In and of themselves. And, and they've always had cliche and dorky things about them. But they've also had moments that actually pay off. Well, they've taken time to, you know, like Empire Strikes Back. What a long, boring movie. I mean, and I, and I say that in the, I say that as a compliment, you know, like we're going to just hang out with Yoda and he's going to make us feel the force. And it's all a bunch of mumbo jumbo, but Yoda's going to really believe it. And he's going to give us some cookie Chinese, what do you call those things? Um, fortune cookie. Fortune cookie. Yeah. He's going to give us some fortune cookie wisdom. And John Williams is going to, play the heck out of the music, and we're just going to live with it for a moment, such that by the time that movie's over, the Force feels like... A real thing. A real thing. Star Wars has always done that. The father-son dynamic and Return of the Jedi, same thing. There's nothing all that deep about it, but you're going to spend some time with it. You're going to let Luke and Vader just walk stand down there. Hallways, walk down hallways. Get on talking. elevators. The J.J. Abrams version of Return of the Jedi, it's just like, I have to save my father. It's really important. If I don't save my father... Nothing, it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. And then <laughs> yeah. there's a bunch of action and sparks flying and the movie's over. Yeah. And it tries to tell us. And then it says, that was really emotional, wasn't it? And no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. See, that's the thing. We watched all of Clone Wars and, you know, basically as a family and my kids, you know, they have these moments where they're just crying mm-hmm. because it really is emotional. I would say Clone Wars probably has two or three of the most emotional moments in all of Star Wars. And Rebels has two of the others. Right. <laughs> but 
then you go to Revenge of the Sith uh, outside of Clone Wars, and I think that there's actually a, an argument to be made for watching Revenge of the Sith at the very before you finish finish Clone Wars. We'll talk to we'll talk about that behind the paywall. And man, it, everything in Revenge of the the Sith feels super poignant. Like they bring so much emotional weight to that movie through the work they did in Clone Wars. Every almost every single scene is improved, and so that's an emotional roller coaster of a movie for the kids. They feel that. They feel all of it. They feel, in some sense, Anakin. Maybe they understand Anakin turning to the dark side in a way that maybe if you've not watched the Clone Wars, you never could. Hmm. Um, and then they feel that moment, you know, that fight with Obi-Wan and Anakin. But then you come back to Return of the Jedi and Luke saves Anakin and Anakin saves Luke. And it's to them, Vader is Anakin. You know, it's not like the rest of us where we have to tell ourselves that's Anakin in there. Right. This character that we know is Vader. For them, it's always Anakin. And so, you know, Anakin, I have to save you. You already, oh, ha- have. you already have, like, man, that hits them like a ton of bricks. And then we got the funeral pyre, and then we've got Anakin's force ghost as Hayden Christensen. And it's just like, man, it is the ultimate consummation of the, of the Skywalker story for them. And then we turn around, and we watch this new saga, and it's just like, they really don't care. No, they don't. So we watched The Rise of Skywalker as a family, mostly as a family the other day and i know that we're getting away from like moving through it scene by scene but i'm just this no, is how i'm coming into this yeah. like my kids were wandering around getting snacks they did not care and you know what they the ones that did care you know what they were most interested in that final third of the movie they were waiting to get out of the ray ben palpatine scenes back up to the air battle because they were looking to see how many times they could spot the ghost, which is a ship, the the ship from Star Wars Rebels, the animated show. And they saw it way more times than I thought it was in there. Finally, you know, like Ian was a master at spotting it. And he'd be like, there's the ghost. And finally, and the kids were like, nowhere, you know? <laughs> it's like, that's what was interesting about that whole final third of the movie for them. The movie was so awesome that it turned into a Where's Waldo game. Exactly. And so I just said, screw it. We're going to, like, I grabbed the remote and I was like, all right. Like, every time somebody thought they spotted the ghost, we'd go back and verify. We'll, we'll get something out of It was there a lot. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> it was like four or five times. And even like after the battle, when they come back to land at the base, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the kids are just like, man, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> that's, that's, that really, we could t- stop the episode now. That tells you Doesn't everything that say everything you need, you need to know. To know. <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't care about, they didn't care about that final scene of. Well, there's no, there's, there, uh, maybe we should go through it. Um, we should go through it. There, I've, hij- I've hijacked the plan probably. Well, no, no. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say here up at the top. Morally, it's striking to me that I, I think maybe one of the lessons for this movie is if you just put plot first, it tends to diminish the morality of your movie. Nothing is motivated by character. It doesn't. It's like what Ben was before even, and what he became. These things don't matter. It just yeah. matters that this is the part of the movie where he needs to switch. There's nothing inherent in bad Ben and Kylo that makes good Ben. It's just like, it's two different guys. Well, yeah, there are two ways to do that. And 
one is to dig deep into character, right. and the other is to just play to to uh, typology. They do neither of those things. No, they don't. Well, I guess we could talk about that when we when we get there. But I thought it was sort of. I mean, Lucas plays to typology. It's pretty empty. Oh yeah, Darth Vader is just an evil robot man that suddenly is Luke's dad when he has to be. But it all works because we feel the mythic because, weight of because the mythic weight of of the, of the typology actually works, right? And you you're able to bring a whole lot to these pretty empty stereotypical characters. Well, and the most you can bring to Kylo to, really is something that the feminists all objected to, and maybe rightfully so. But it's the one thing that you can kind of latch onto because it is a type. And that's the white the, knight. Well, no, not the white knight, but the sexy bad boy who who's going to seduce the the oh, good right. girl. Oh, you know, yeah. John Travolta Absolutely. versus Sandy Sandy the Virgin in uh, Greece, like that that type. The movie actually, whether it wants to, I don't think it means to. I think it's just clumsy about this, but it tells a pretty good story of a bad dude seeming really cool to a dumb white girl, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like a bad motorcycle dude kind of story. That's, I believe in the good in you. I see the good in you. I'm going, you know. Yeah, why? No, you don't. <laughs> he's, he's not doing anything good. He's he's the supreme leader of an evil empire. Right, he's Hitler. <laughs> he's, he's basically a stand-in for Hitler at this point. He just kills people. Right, <laughs> that's all he does. At one point in the movie, he brings in your friend's head and flops it on a table. Yeah. There's nothing good about this guy. And then he choke slams his own people on the on the ceiling. Like Yeah, this is just an, this, so as as but as far as telling if when when you're not careful with types, you can accidentally revert to bad ones and this one this movie I think just through its sheer clumsiness actually does a pretty good job of evoking the sexy bad abusive relationship it's like twilight stuff yeah right? the twilight stuff the 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 guy that no girl should be interested in except for that in movies the guy can seem really cool yeah so here's my other real quick hot take overall for the movie this is the worst star wars movie i think and i think that that's indisputable i don't want to hear arguments i'm, I'm sorry to be a snob here but if we as a society value if we're so decadent jake as to value competence then I guess we could say that as there's a value competence as the supreme good, then I guess we could say that this is a better movie than some of the other ones because it is more competent than, you know, the dialogue is more competently written than the dialogue in Attack of the Clones. The storytelling is actually more linear and makes more sense than Rogue One. But if we value ambition, imagination, innovation... I don't know that you could name a worse Star Wars movies with less of those qualities. I still think... The Last Jedi is an insanely lazy, terrible film uh, put together by a much more talented filmmaker. I would say. So I think that I think my argument would come down to those two. I, I might throw Solo in the mix just because it's pretty. It's the other one that you could it say just lacks. Count. Yeah, it just doesn't even count. It just lacks. Doesn't count. It lacks qualities. Yeah, Last Jedi. Well, to me, Last Jedi all comes down to the fact that Ray doesn't take Kylo's hand. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If that movie actually wanted to be a subversion and didn't chicken out at the end, I I could really get behind it. I could be an apologist for that. But well, the lazy but anti-subversion, the the play, toying with subversion, and then backing off, lame. Now, the 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 one, and I when I say one, I mean one. The one redeeming quality of the Last Jedi 
is that there is enough breathing space in that movie for it to be emotionally retconned in a way in the same way that Revenge of the Sith was emotionally retconned. Right. So Revenge of the Sith is I I, I think it's just completely emotionally retconned by the Clone Wars. Suddenly you go from this petulant brat who you don't like running around and you're supposed to like him but you don't like him and you don't even really understand why he makes the deci- the decisions he does to everything making emotional sense mm. almost everything the only problem you've got is the younglings basically right. by the time and that was always going to be a problem and you can you can rationalize it but it doesn't it requires work on your part the younglings comes down to George Lucas making a, just a bad decision a structure, on a structural level on a storytelling level and i think it's because he wanted people he wanted to rub people's noses in the fact that you've been telling me now for three movies that you wanted to see Darth Vader killing people, and that's not what this saga's ever this been about. about. So I'm, I'm never going to give you Darth. I'm never going to give you the hallway scene. You don't deserve the hallway scene from Rogue One. That's not what the prequels are about. What I am going to give you is your hero slaughtering children. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> I really think that that's that's why Anakin kills the younglings. And I get George Lucas's instinct. I sort of almost agree with it on one level, but also Anakin just wouldn't kill the younglings. Yeah. Um, so the the uh, the thing about the Last Jedi is all it takes is Dave Filoni deciding to do a show. And it can be a it can be a Mandalorian style show, but you're gonna have to like CGI Luke and young Ben or cast a young Ben. Or it can just be an animated show, but it's basically the Jedi Academy show, the Luke and Ben show, where we really get to see and to know Ben Solo, and we really get to see and know Luke Skywalker, and we really get to feel the emotional weight, Luke screwing it up with Ben and feeling his failure in such a way that it actually feels like the right decision, or maybe not the right decision but we really do get it. Like what could possibly have broken our hero, the man who brought balance to the force, who saved our other hero, Anakin Skywalker, what could possibly have wounded him so deeply, made him feel like such a failure that he quit on life and exiled himself and Mm -hmm. turned his back on his friends. Like you tell that story and suddenly the last Jedi like you can make yourself teary-eyed thinking about it if you you know it's the last jedi can can work in an emotionally retconned way when I mean, you make that showdown with with kylo ren and luke all that stuff and even the the failures of that to you can even set it up it could have emotional resonance back to like training days of luke teaching ben about Deception. Deception, exactly. Deception being a great tool of the Jedi and how he learned so much of that from Obi-Wan Kenobi and all the all this stuff. Like you can even make the what felt like a failure in the movie suddenly mean much more for Luke and for Ben Solo. All of that can be saved. That can be saved. I don't think that there's I I don't think there's a way to save Rise of Skywalker. There's not a way to save Rise of Skywalker. I beat my head against it, and I just can't. Well, yeah, I can't figure out what I would do. I, and it's half of it's because they show so much in the they pack they try to pack in so much in the film 
that basically takes away your ability to... They cut off avenues, yeah. One of the biggest avenues that they cut off is Ray's training. They basically say, Leia trains Ray. Ray has no access to the Force Ghosts until she goes to Octo and sees Luke for the very first time. And then she gets in the X-Wing and flies directly to Palpatine, and then she can hear the Jedi. Yeah. Voices of the Jedi path. So now what, what can you do? How can you tie any of that into the greater Skywalker saga? How can you bring Luke or Obi-Wan or Anakin to bear on that story in a way that actually makes it feel like it is the consummation of something and not its own other thing that you don't care about. Well, and I'm sorry, Last Jedi, while you could, I, I think you, between Ben and Luke, there's a lot you could do. I Mom think- raises zero. Well, yeah, raises zero, and her arc just does not compute. There's no way, I, I don't think, having Rey go and be disappointed by the great Luke Skywalker, and then for some insane reason, not take Kylo Ren's hand and rewrite the galaxy. There's, you just can't do anything with that. It's just, it is just a Mary Sue. It's just a stick figure character doing what the plot requires in a yeah. way that, that doesn't compute. Like when she's going to see Luke again, like how could you possibly make the scene where the scene in Rise of Skywalker where Luke shows back up and she's happy to see him make sense? I mean, unless it's just Leia, unless you can do Force Ghosts, or unless Leia can just be telling story after story of how great Luke was, but even then, it's like, if you hung out with someone and they treated you like garbage for months, and then, or weeks, or days, or whatever it is, and then somebody wanted to tell you how great, like... And let's not forget that she wasn't even there to see his heroic moment. Right, exactly. She just wanted, yeah. She was up on the ship and then she was down in the millennium falcon and you know she she wasn't there to see luke's force projection and all that stuff or to even have a moment of closure with him the moment of closure she gets comes in rise where he catches her lightsaber and says basically everything that happened in the i did in the last film was stupid right. because i hate ryan johnson right my name is definitely not J.J. Abrams in a wig. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, could I get a better wig? <laughs> Man, Luke looks so stupid in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, well, let's go through it. So, Rise of Skywalker begins, The Dead Speak! That's a pretty great pulpy little line. Yep, that was good. But there's something indicative of what's wrong with the whole movie in that you've got an entire awesome movie there. J.J. Abrams, I think, has actually gone on record as saying he toyed with the idea of pitching, making this into two movies. Yes, he has gone on record saying that, and that would have made all the difference. That would have made all the difference because... I think he actually... I don't think he said he toyed with pitching it. I think he said he did pitch making it too. Oh, yeah, and they said no. Well, and they said no. That's too bad because there is... There I could is, be wrong about that. Somebody can fact check that and let us know, but... Building back up to Palpatine would have made a world of difference. Like this whole beginning is so quick that it just has no time. Like here's what happens. In the beginning it says, Ren is determined to destroy any threat to his power. And then we immediately get the scene where he gives up on that and decides to work with Palpatine. It's like we have these things have no room to breathe. We're telling this character's one way and then we're going to show the scene where he decides not to be that way. Well, what's supposed what we're supposed to understand it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. We're supposed to understand that he 
needs Ray in order to defeat him, but then he's got him there at the end of his lightsaber. Right? Like the yeah. way that the way that he pitches it to Ray is like, you know, he's not gonna go kill Ray. He finds out something about Ray, and then he's like gonna go get Ray, but he's gonna bring Ray back to kill Palpatine with him or something. Which there's a way like, to make all that work, but it has to breathe. You have to understand what the dynamic is between Palpatine and between Kylo. You have to understand what they need from Ray. Like there there are ways to make that play, even just apart from superpowers and who has what power when, you can make it play psychologically if Kylo's the kind of character there's a there's a plausible version of Kylo doing all these things, but they don't bother with that. We don't yeah. we don't have time to live with that guy, whoever he is. Yeah. And on top of that, the guy has to be redeemed halfway through. And not soon enough. What do you think about the opening action scene in the woods? With Kylo killing all those random... I wonder what was cut out of it. Because we're clearly on Mustafar. Right. So we're at... Kylo Ren has gone to Vader's castle. There are random bad guys there, or good guys, or some guys, that he has to kill in order to attain... The MacGuffin. The Sith Wayfinder, which, you know, is different than a holocron because we can't use actual star wars lore here we have to dumb it down for people who don't understand star wars lore well i think i probably said this last time but i mean wayfinder it's just like it's in the the writing room let's call it a a wayfinder we'll come up with something good later like guys you have to then come up with something good you don't call it a wayfinder oh it's a glowy map right (laughs) that's all it is oh come on guys for pete's sake well, J.J. Abrams is so, Look you know- Look at Lance he, Redford infecting my speech. <laughs> for, oh, for Pete's sake. J.J. Uh, Abrams, like, he likes that stuff. His, you know, he's got his famous mystery box TED Talk and stuff like that. And, he, and, you know, he did the Mission Impossible movie where they're after the rabbit's foot. And the movie makes kind of a joke about, like, we don't even know what the rabbit's foot is, but it's the worst thing. Like, it is just yeah. MacGuffin. And it's like, you can be cute about that once or twice, but ultimately, I want to believe in the MacGuffin. I want to be told why it's important. I want some exposition. And it's, it's like a, it's a silent contract between me and the filmmaker. Yeah, we both know the MacGuffin doesn't matter. It's just the glowy thing that everybody wants. But I'm going to go out on a limb and pretend like it matters. And you're going to go out on a limb and give me a reason to pretend like it matters. And, and then we'll both engage in a thing called an entertaining movie. Yeah. Where we've suspended disbelief, and it is part of that silent contract, and it's it's fine. That's what movies do. Right. Now, that, that opening scene, what it feels like, it feels like one of two things to me. It feels like either A, there was a bigger scene there that yeah, got cut down to certainly. nothing, and B, we kept what we kept because we needed to justify the hilt of Kylo Ren's sword. And so- I mean, honestly, it's just like, you guys thought I was stupid for making Kylo Ren's sword, uh, lightsaber like this? Watch how awesome he is in battle with it. Well, to me, it occasionally I think I could get behind something breaking precedent in an interesting way. But it's a bad precedent breaker because I think every Star Wars movie has always started with a slow... New Hope, you're going to have the ship go by and then you're going to have the big ship go by and it's going to take a couple minutes and then we're going to get into the action. Even uh, even the opening of the best action scene, the best action opening of Star Wars is Revenge of the Sith. Sith. 
and you're going to be like on Obi-Wan and Anakin above one of the uh, Republic Star Cruisers. Well, and even in those big action scenes, you'll get like a, a slow pan down and a God's eye view of everything is how you start. And then you kind of get into the action. But the really, the way that I always kind of love that Star Wars does it is drawing me slowly into the world, whether it's Rogue One with Krannik showing up and being ominous, mm-hmm. or Empire Strikes Back has one of the best where you just find yourself on this barren ice planet and this little evil droid thing has come down yeah. and is spookily rising up. Return of the Jedi, you're just going to have a couple of droids in the desert. I mean, it's just like very slowly, seductively saying, hey, welcome back to the world. Isn't this cool? Isn't this... Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, George Lucas did it well in episode one, I think, where it's just these, you know, say what you will about the movie, but the opening, just two mysterious robed Jedis show up to do business in a tense situation. That's a, yeah. after, you know, for being the fourth Star Wars movie ever, coming back after years of no Star Wars, that's a really cool spaghetti Western. Oh, well, no, yeah, well, it's just like, hey, you always wanted to see what the Jedi were like before and what they did. Here they are. Right. Just going immediately into slow motion, also weird. I mean, yeah, is this the first time weird. we've really gotten slow motion in, in Star Wars? Surely not, but the cave in Empire Strikes Back, the weird Sith yeah. ghost cave thing is slow motion. Like there's slow motion for effect, but slow motion just for just for our benefit as an audience as opposed to something that the character is kind of experiencing. I don't know that we've really gotten that before this movie and it feels a little, yeah, doesn't feel very star Wars to me. Yeah. I can't remember seeing that either. Um, that you mention it. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I could be crazy about that. I don't know. Well, let us know nerds. If there's a famous slow motion star Wars scene that we're not thinking of, I don't think last, last Jedi, uh, last Jedi actually does have something kind of like that where the chick is, sacrifices herself at the beginning isn't there kind of a slow motion like she's trying to grab the pin on the grenades or like pops down slowly or whatever that feels like that's that feels like that's what the character is experiencing it's not like we're just in slow motion because it's cool it's like yeah everything slowed down (sighs) so that's i don't know if this movie worked completely maybe i would then say oh cool that was a really brave interesting way to start a star wars movie just in the middle of an action scene with no build-up but since nothing else works i think we'll add it to the demerit pile uh what do you think about what's the name of the sith planet palpatine's place exegol exegol a spooky name it did a good job of evoking uh some of the imagery of other Sith temples and things like that that you see in other Star Wars media and you know Palpatine's original throne and all that crap. I, I don't I don't mind the design of the planet. If that's no, I like it. I wish like I, I think a better way, given the footage that they obviously already shot, the way that I would probably start this movie is let's kill the Sith Wayfinder fight. Like let's just get rid of it. Who cares? And let's just start with fade to black oh, we're on a spooky planet and now we're going to take some time with, oh, what's, oh, the, oh, who is that? Oh, it's Kylo Ren. Weird. What's he doing here? Exactly. Oh, he's going into the spooky temple. He's looking around. This is spooky. Like, let's give it a few minutes to to build up to Palpatine. Yeah. This movie just has well, no build up. And, and then again, you've got to, if you're Star Wars, 
you've got to start thinking about other properties and how you're going to build around these big budget movies. And so, hey, the more things that you left unseen that aren't necessary to be seen, the more opportunities there are to bring more weight to this movie. So exactly. let's, if, let's if write five novels about and three comic about books Kylo and a whole search for the Disney Wayfinder. Plus show about, yeah, exactly. Right? Like Kylo Ren's search for the Wayfinder could be a, basically, yeah, a whole, a whole show, a whole comic book series, a whole series of novels. It could be any number of things where he has to go on this great big quest and journey to like piece the things together. But you showed us the climactic moment right. in the movie. So you basically took away, by showing us the, cl- the climactic moment in the movie, you've taken away the ability to tell that story. And you told us basically the climactic moment is he slaughtered a bunch of nobodies that weren't that interesting. Yeah, like, and then he grabbed the thing and got on a ship. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, now there's a whole world of mystery of what they left around Palpatine and the bodies in the tanks and the, the who are these Sith cultists and whatever that probably we'll get to we'll get to tease a little bit in the Mandalorian and maybe in subsequent show like if we get that Luke and Ben show just like you see in the Clone Wars things like they're always wondering what on earth happened at Geonosis mm-hmm. well Ge- Geonosis is where they started building the the Death Star right what wiped out all of these people? Where did they all go? Well, they were all enslaved to build the Death Star. What, what happened to all of the resources of this? Oh, it was all used to, but, but nobody knows that in the movie. Right. Or in, in the show. The same thing happens in Rebels, where it's just like, man, there's this weird stuff going on that you as an audience, you know what that's about. They can play with that sort of Sith cultist stuff and cloning and Palpatine stuff, but they can't, what they can't do is anything actually with Kylo Ren. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, which again, they basically, and I'm, I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again, what they need to be doing is leaving avenues open to develop and help us care about the characters that this trilogy is actually about, and they, they keep closing those doors. Right. Well, and- it doesn't hurt to like the the cultists are an interesting thing where I actually could have used three more shots just to kind of give give some implication some some interesting thing like no one's gonna do anything about with the cultists probably because they're just not that interesting and nobody will want to explore it I mean but at least based on I mean somebody could be like oh cool Sith cultists and make something but we're not given any reason in, in this yeah. movie to want to make something it's a bunch of chanting. Dark hooded nothings. Yeah, it's just like what's that the most generic to die at the end. Yeah, that was lame. What like Tolkien did it when the the ground opened up and swallowed the armies of Mordor. If we knew who those guys were and what needed we've been to happen, fighting to them. with them for three books and well, and even like some little dippy supporting character like villain like the mouth of Sauron, we're gonna get a description of him and you know. You could you could write a whole Tolkien spinoff novel about how somebody becomes the mouth of Sauron, and it could be really cool. Yeah. But Tolkien gives you enough to be like, "Huh, I wonder what's up with that dude." Yeah. So then we meet Palpatine. What do you think about Palpatine in this movie? <laughs> You're not impressed. <laughs> well, blind fat Palpatine for one thing, just is kind of a sad, sad way to see my my hero, my favorite character from Star Wars. Um, gives him something to come back from, I guess, but. 
which he does. But here's the thing. I hate everything they do with Palpatine. Me too. Sheev Palpatine is one of the greatest villains of all time. He is pure evil, pure genius. He managed to orchestrate the fall of the Republic. A thousand generations. Yeah. And he... He, he yeah. upended a thousand generations of Jedi. He managed to kill almost all of them. He blinded them all and led them down, shepherded them, shepherded them all down away from the true path of the Jedi. The entire Jedi Council, he led and deceived and manipulated down an anti-Jedi path to set up the fall and to manipulate them into creating his new apprentice. Like he is just this master, master manipulator. There is nothing that he can't, like the man, I mean, it doesn't matter what you think about 900 year old Yoda Mm -hmm. got tricked and deceived into misleading the Jedi Council right. for years because of Sheev Palpatine. He, he, he puppeteered both sides of the Clone Wars. He was the leader of the Separatists and he was the leader of the Republic and he was playing them off each other for his own ends all the time. It's just like he's this master genius, m- master manipulator. And that's what's interesting about him. And that is what's interesting and what's cool and scary about him. When he starts, and he's able to turn around and play like a grandfather to absolutely everybody, and nobody suspects him. Anakin doesn't suspect him. Ahsoka doesn't suspect him. Yoda doesn't suspect him. The only person who suspects him is the one person that you hate the most, and that's Mace Windu. Like, but he just has a chip on his shoulder about everybody. That's so. right. He hates everybody. Why would you take him seriously when he suspects Palpatine? And Palpatine ma- manipulates that whole moment and sets it all up to pull the trigger on Anakin and his, sh- and his switch to Darth Vader. And so you have Palpatine who's been spending the last 30 years out on this planet recovering, inhabiting a clone body, whatever it is they say he's been doing. This is what he came up this with? This is his great plan? Like, this is... Like, he miscalculated Luke and Anakin because he did not understand the power of love between a father and a son. Yeah, and it's, that, it's that, exactly like Sauron's one weakness is he just assumes that anybody who got the ring would would use it. But he can't conceive of someone just blatantly setting out to destroy the ring. The ring and that's what does him in, which is an understandable weakness for a power-hungry, super-genius, evil being. And, and it works just fine for Palpatine, but Palpatine doesn't make that mistake twice. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing that just, like, what a joke. Well, I want to go back they to make some, him a joke. He is. I want to go back to something you said, which is grandfatherly. Good villains always have more than one attribute. I mean, it's it's like what I like to say. The thing that makes Hannibal Lecter effective is not that he's a cannibal. It's that he's a polite cannibal. Right. You know, that's why people love that character. That's why people, we, we love villains and we enjoy watching them do their evil because, and, and, and we're scared of them, not because they are in fact pure evil. I mean, it's like what C.S. Lewis says about the devil. There's no such thing as pure evil. To be purely evil, you'd have to get rid of attributes like intelligence, which are good. And so what you have to do to make a really effective villain is to combine elements of good with evil. And so you take somebody and you make them really intelligent or 
a really good manipulator or really warm and compassionate seeming, which is actually how Ian McDermott plays, plays it. And not just even in the uh, prequels, but in the new one, the thing that makes Palpatine fun is that he has this kind of there, there Luke quality <laughs> to his villainy. You know, he's, yeah. you can tell he's really a really enjoying himself. B, he is kind of grandfatherly when he comes hobbling. The first time we see him in Return of the Jedi, he comes hobbling out on his stick and he's just really impressed with <laughs> every, how everything's going to plan. <laughs> just as he's foreseen. Just to, <laughs> he's going to enjoy a hearty chuckle <laughs> as he walks with his robot man down the... You know, that's Palpatine. Palpatine's a guy who loves being Palpatine. And brings all the warmth and vitality to evil that you could ever want. And that's what makes him scary and effective. And so J.J. Abrams is just such a hack. Yeah. Because the only thing he understands about Palpatine is he's evil. He's, he's yeah. spooky. And so we don't actually get the real Palpatine. The real Palpatine would come out and would say, hey, Kylo. And, and you know, maybe he's hooked up to machines and looks like a, a, a creeper. A corpse. A corpse man. Palpatine's had that problem going against him for a long time ever since the Mace Windu showdown. Right. But he's managed to still be manipulative and charming and to just have Palpatine be a boogeyman, this whole movie basically. It's so stupid. Is, is, it's not Palpatine. It's not what... He's too smart to do that. Right. He... L look, I mean, come on. Here you have this little girl who's been hungry for a father her entire life. You are literally her grandfather. You're literally her grandfather. It's just so, there's so Your best many... play is to say, I'm spooky corpse man. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to kill me. Right. <laughs> and take your rightful place as empress. Even given the convoluted plot, if you want her to kill you, set her up to like you and then kick kick her dog, you know? I mean, right. there's there's better ways to make her mad. Don't just tell her, in order to consummate my evil plan, you must kill me. <laughs> <laughs> There's one moment late in the movie where Palpatine gets his eyes back and gets his power and he starts laughing and shooting lightning and we get a little bit of gleeful old Palpatine, but there's so little. He really is just monster man. If this was how Palpatine was in the original, Lucas wouldn't have bothered bringing him back for the prequels. He wouldn't have bothered. Like Palpatine just wouldn't be a thing because... Scary Monster Man actually isn't an interesting villain. Scary Monster Man who's also warm and smart and interesting and... Faux compassionate. Faux compassionate. That, well, we could keep saying it, but... So you have... So we've just been told in the title crawl that Kylo Ren is out to consolidate his power and kill anyone who's in his way. And then Palpatine's like, don't do that. And kill Ray. Kill Ray. And uh, by the way, you can have my fleet. And that's like his big selling point. And I have no idea why Kylo cares about that. I mean, sure, it's a cool fleet, but Kylo's already got a cool fleet. Like, he's already got... He's, he's got the power of a, an order that, was managed, that managed to build Starkiller Base, which is way cooler than the Death Star. Yeah. Now, you could now, make this now point... that fleet, if each of those ships has planet-destroying power... That's pretty intense. Well, there's two different ways you could do this. Number one, you could, and this is the way that I think is more interesting, you could show that Kylo's actually on his heels, that things aren't working out for the First Order. And, and so we have a scene where things look bad for Kylo, and he realizes he's actually not a good leader. 
His regime isn't like Palpatine's. And so when Palpatine shows up, it's real temptation. Or you could make the point, which I guess is implicit, but still make it and show it, which is that Palpatine's going to wipe the floor with us if I don't join up with them. Yeah. Because he's got all the power. He's, he's, He's holding all the cards right now. Maybe both those things are implicit, but you don't feel either one of them because you're not shown either one of them. In fact, you're shown things that would tend to lead you to believe the opposite. Yeah, it's just... Like, you're not really given a good reason why... I guess you're supposed to assume Palpatine's so powerful that he could do something about this, but why doesn't Kylo just stick a lightsaber through this old, hanging corpse man? And then take the fleet. And then take the fleet. (sighs) Well, we've talked through exactly one scene of this movie. Let's move on to Rand Finn on a mission. You mean Poe and Finn? Yeah, sure. Whoever. (laughs) They're on the Millennium Falcon getting some information. From Luke Skywalker, except he's an alien. Yep. Lame. I don't know. I mean. That was Mark Hamill's voice. That's what Oh, is that what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Well, Mark Hamill does good voices, I guess. But, oh, look. The Millennium Falcon is speeding down a tightly tight techno corridor. I hope it makes it through this tight space. With all of our heroes that we need for the rest of the movie. Oh, no. But it's exciting. We like to see our heroes in action and to see how they've grown and to see what their relationship is like now. Yeah, I mean, I like those things too, but you, you know what, fine. In, in a better movie, this this scene, I mean, I know, I know you were kind of being sarcastic, but actually, you're right. No, I, like, I, in, a, in a better movie, this scene plays. It's fine. Whatever. Hey, there are worse things to do than to package. This is the updated look of our characters, of our heroes and their relationships than packaging it in a fun little action scene at the beginning of a movie. Yeah. I mean, that's something that that's not a Lucas bad, con- consistent. Not a bad trip. Lucas failed to do that in Attack of the Clones, and it's one of the failures of that movie that we don't just get like a, hey, here's Anakin and Obi-Wan like in an action scene instead of a stupid elevator and exposition. that's dump. how we get to see what their relationship is like now. Right. So, fine. Now we're going to get to a really problematic section of the movie that oh just... Oh, my goodness. This is just... Even if you're sympathetic to everything else that J.J. Abrams does, I don't think... This is just a swing and a miss. It's somebody trying to make something work that just will not work, which is, of course, Ray's relationship with, with Leia. Leia. Yeah. First of all, we we cut to seeing Ray, and she's levitating while moving rocks in orbit around herself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she's she's powered up, she's super powered, and then we're gonna have this, like, basically we had three cut scenes of Leia giving Rey Luke's old lightsaber mm-hmm. with, a, with three different cliches that we cut from The Force Awakens. Well, and, and we're gonna try to build around that and make it into something that feels emotionally resonant. Well, I said this movie had no ambition. This JJ, the, 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 there's nothing worse than misplaced ambition. This is the one part of the movie that is ambitious, which is we've got some old footage, and we'd really like to give Carrie a proper send off and give Leia a proper send off. Let's just try and build something. But it's like at some point, this is Kathleen Kennedy. This is your job. You're an evil producer. Everyone hates you. That's that's this is why you exist yep. is to say you know what the fandom is always going to hate me for this but. It's the right thing to do. Princess Leia is dead when this movie starts. Start with her funeral. I don't care what you do. We are not doing this. This simply 
it does not work. work. Well, and the good thing is, okay, so you wanted The Force Awakens to be Han. You wanted uh, Last Jedi to be Luke, and you wanted Rise of Skywalker to be Leia. Mm -hmm. God took it away from you. Yeah. Carrie died. And so you had your reason to be done with Leia and to redeem Luke in any no- and bring in any number of Force ghosts to help complete Ray's training, just like Luke's training was completed by Force ghosts. Mm-hmm. Instead, you force this really weird, does not work, Leia-Ray relationship. Yeah, and it just... I don't, it's a, you know, you could ask, how would we feel about these scenes if we didn't know that Carrie Fisher was dead? And it doesn't matter because we do. And so what right. it, it just sounds like she's talking to Alexa or something like that. And I'm sorry, everybody, if your Alexas are trying to play some, a song called something like that now. But it's just so weird and creepy to have her have this automaton, automaton repeat these random lines that don't really have anything to do with what is happening. It's happening. And Daisy Ridley, bless her heart, tries to sell it and be yeah, real you bring in contemplative about the thing that Leia just said. But I mean, here's an idea. You know, it's like, I mean, it's just like, yeah, sure. BB-8 is going to say, you know, Ray's going to come back from having failed and bent to the dark side in her dumb little training exercise. He's going to say, I didn't finish the exercise, uh, the training exercise. Yeah, BB-8 is going to say, can I do it for you? That's really natural and really obvious and totally isn't there to set up some old line of Leia saying never underestimate a droid. Yeah. That you're going to try to pay off later in a chase scene. I mean, it's like, a, it's, a, it's so clunky. It's kind of a valiant effort forced. yet, I guess, but forced Toho. <laughs> <laughs> what they were facing is the fact that the only way to redeem Kylo in any way that made sense was to have mommy... I mean, obviously, this movie before Carrie Fisher died was going to be built around Leia showing up and slapping Kylo around until he came to his senses. I mean, that's just that's yeah, all. They, that's she the was only card. Going to have a lightsaber fight with him or something dumb or something dumb. Yeah, I'm not saying they would have done it well, but uh, I mean, they would have done that though. They would have. Leia was the one card in the Kylo Ren deck that hadn't that, been played. That hadn't been played. And it, you know, it makes a certain amount of sense. Who do soldiers cry out for when they're dying? They cry for their mommies. Like you send mommy in, she maybe she can do it where daddy failed. But and especially if what we're trying to do is up in the patriarchy with this new series, right? Exactly. Maybe they could have had something, but like you said, it got taken away from them. I think probably what they really needed to do is say, we lost our last Kylo redemption card. Kylo's a bad guy now. Like what Colin Trevorrow was apparently. Gonna to do. do like there's no way to re- redeem him without Leia, and we don't have Leia. JJ Abrams says I'm gonna try and make it work, and it's just like it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's so lame. I mean, a better version of it would maybe be she's dead at the beginning of the movie, and Kylo sees a hologram of her doing something from another movie. Like there's maybe ways you could make it play where. Well, if she's dead and Kylo doesn't know it, yeah, right. So she's dead. There's a funeral, whatever, at the start of the movie. Even the bad version of Ray on as she fights with Kylo, saying, "Your mother believed with you and believed in you until the end on her deathbed." Kylo, exactly. That would be better than what we've got. You know, you'd have to, to actually do the work of thinking about it. But there, there are better. 
there are ways to make it work. This is not that. Well, and I just don't like the conceit of Leia, even assuming we have Carrie Fisher. Leia's never been, I get that she's the other Skywalker. I get that she has force powers. I get that I, I'm a defender of the Ryan Johnson, Carrie Poppins thing. I think it's fun, actually. But, <laughs> but having Leia just be like a full-blown Jedi who knows Jedi things and does lightsabers and stuff, that's never been something that, that's been a thing. Like, it's, it comes out of nowhere. Like, Leia's actually not a Jedi mentor. And to try and graph that on, like, back when me and Leia were doing our training together, you did? Why? When? Where? Why isn't Le- If Leia has super Jedi powers, just like Luke, why hasn't she been using them this whole, this time? whole time? If she can beat Luke in a lightsaber battle, why do we all need Luke to come back and save us? Yeah, who cares about Luke? And by the way, why didn't Leia go find Luke, actually? Uh, okay, well... Is there anything else to say about the Leia stuff? It's bad. It's just bad. It's really bad. And it's not emotionally resonant. And it really ripped me out of the movie the first time I saw it. And the second time I saw it. And my wife was watching. And I don't think she probably even kept up with the fact that Carrie Fisher was dead. But she was just kind of like, what's wrong with this? What is this scene? Why is this lady? I think she asked, why is this lady saying things that don't make sense? Yeah. It's almost like what J.J. Abrams wants us to do is all be very aware of the fact that Carrie Fisher died and appreciate the fact that he's making it work. It's like, no, we still need the story to work as a story. Finn and Poe get back and they're going to go on a mission with Ray to find the thing. And that's nice, I guess. I mean, our leads still have... like, no. And then they're like, we're going to go anyway because that's what we do. It's what you would do. It's the thing that Ryan Johnson said that we should never do. (laughs) We're going to do it. Yay. Yay. We get we get the, I think, pretty mean-spirited shuffling off of Rose. Rose. Like, say what you will about Rose. We were asked to invest in her last time, and it's lame to say she's a nobody this time. I mean, she's a good character, actually. I mean, I, I know everybody hates the, and, and rightfully so, everyone hates the we defeat evil with love thing. It's dumb. It's, it's, it's Ryan Johnson just being stupid. But... Rose was a very charming character in Last Jedi. She was. And just because that movie doesn't work doesn't mean that Rose and and Kelly Marie Tran should be punished for it, I don't think. It feels like sour grapes. It feels like letting fandom dictate decisions in a way that's not helpful to anybody. And so the whole, like, the general... I'm going to be sure to give foe a... Finn, (laughs) (laughs) got him. (laughs) (laughs) We should give Finn a self-sacrificial scene with a different woman who's going to be there beside him while Rose looks on and decides, yeah, that's the right thing to do. By the way, isn't it great that in multicultural Star Wars universe, the we provide Finn with a a black lady to fall in love with? (laughs) Yeah, I, I just thought that was a multiculturalism fail. Actually, like, uh, but that's Lando's daughter. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they never say that, but I think that's the implication. I think so, yeah. Or else the they do. We almost just wanted to hit on her, and they didn't stop the cameras from rolling. <laughs> so we get re- we shuffled Rose off to the side. The general asked me to study the specs of old Star Destroyers. Yeah, that makes sense. Rose should have been on the mission. She's a good character. I stand by Rose. Then we get the Akiaki Festival of the Ancestors, aka Indian Burning Man. And- aka, hey, when in Thor Ragnarok... They made these like puffs of 
green smoke look cool. We could do that with yellows and reds. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're on another desert planet. Yep, more desert planets. DJ Abrams has no imagination. Yep. Well, Clone Wars really does this movie no favors because it's like every episode, it's a new planet and it's interesting and it's unique. I mean, it's I've creative. said this a million times behind the paywall, but it's just like, oh, this is cool. This is a little different. You know, they'll, they'll have like themes like, oh, it's another swamp planet, but it'll be slightly different. This swamp planet has big lily pad things. This swamp planet's more dry. This snow planet has a white tint instead of Hoth's bluish tint. Like they do things to mix it up. Whereas Abrams is just like, he cannot seem to conceive of Star Wars happening on any anywhere besides the desert. The desert, which I get having some desert for the emotional resonance of Star Wars in desert. Fine, that's fine. Mandalorian does it. All good Star Wars prequels do it. Yeah, I get it. If a character is gonna have a contemplative moment or stare out into something, it might as well be a sunset in the desert. But that's the least of this movie's problems. <sighs> We're gonna get a really clunky setup. What is your family name? I don't have one. Yeah. I'm just Ray. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. This this screenplay feels like such a first draft. We already draft. know that she's a Palpatine by that point, too. This 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 screenplay really feels like a screenplay that we would write and then we'd be and then we'd read it and we'd say, "Well, okay, now we have to do the good version of everything." Yeah. Cuz this okay, we hit the beats. Like it has this lame scene where she's like, "What's my name? I don't have one. I'm just Ray." Now, how do we disguise that setup so it doesn't feel like an obvious setup or come up with some other context for it? This movie is just full of things like that where it's like, here's the setup. Yeah. This Uh, is important. Yeah. Uh, Then we have Lando. What do you think about Lando? Oh, my goodness. What a waste of space. I mean, it's just like. I'm old and I can't act. That's what I think about. Well, it's no, it's just, again, J.J. Abrams. Let's ham this up. Let's have Lando take off a mask and everybody knows who he is. Wink, wink, audience. Oh, we all know who, you know, C3, C3PO, by the way. That subplot's good. C3PO is maybe the best thing about this whole movie. He's funny. He's, 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 the, he's the best comedic relief in the entire film. He's emotional. Like his yeah. little, and, uh, of course they... They screw that up by take, ri- ripping it of all consequences. Like, nobody really cares. Like, C-3PO can have his memory wiped, and he it, can just it, make friends with R2-D2 again. It's fine. It's that's, e- that's actually even more fun. I mean, C-3PO gets his memory wiped all the time. Yeah. You know, one of the jokes is R2 never has his memory wiped. C-3PO always has his memory wiped. Like, that's a joke of Star Wars now. Anyhow, whatever. Yeah, C-3PO is going to be like, this is general, we all know who this is. And, you know, it's like, you know, his moments, like, not even for the people in the cruiser, it's for the audience. Ha! I'm, I'm well, Rando and I'm back. That, that puts the finger on something I hate about J.J. Abrams. And I have sent Star Wars Into Darkness where Benedict Cumberbatch says with great Star portent, Star, into- yeah, Star Trek Into Darkness, I am Khan in the music. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And it's like, in this universe, it does not matter. To these characters, it does not matter. Yeah. The only reason that that matters is because the audience saw a movie 30 years ago with a guy named Khan, or most of them probably didn't. Exactly. All We just know Khan's a thing. And so it's like, hey, it's Khan. But Kirk doesn't have a reason to care. Spock doesn't have a reason to care. These characters don't have a reason to care. This movie is full of things like that. Hey, it's Palpatine. Kylo doesn't have a reason to care yeah. right now. Hey, it's Lando. These right, 
what does Ray care? They don't care. Nobody cares. You can do something. You can set it up like the great general Calrissian. You can have a, a scene or two, yep. you know, where they're watching Lando's exploits on a little hologram. And they're like, boy, if we could just get that guy, get to that come. guy. Yeah. But just having him show up and banking on emotions. Ba, ba, ba. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, please, come on, guys. It just doesn't mean that much. And it's it just feels so condescending. Like, it, I'm a moron who's supposed to clap my hands like, yay, it's Lando. And, and there always is that person in the theater. And the ho- whole rest of the theater always looks down on that person, I think. You know, there's always that one person that's just like, yay, Lando. Yay, Ewoks. Right. And it's like. I mean, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, it's a free country. Enjoy your movie. I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it, person. But the rest of us aren't excited to just see these things. They because they don't matter, right? In the context of this, in the context of this trilogy, yeah, it doesn't matter. You had two other movies to set up the fact that Lando's out there, maybe somewhere, and has some meaning. Nope, not gonna bother. Just gonna stuff him into this film, and then okay. So he's on this planet because, and staying there because what, he had a- He had a mission. Leia gave him a mission, I think, didn't she? Well, I think, I don't know if he, did he say this or did I read it somewhere that he had a daughter stolen from him on that planet? I don't think he says that. Okay. Well, that's something that I read. That was the conceit, is he had a daughter that was stolen from him on this planet and he's looking for her and it isn't going to leave because maybe she'll find her way back. Mm Mm-hmm. Something like that. But they don't establish any legitimate reason, though, in the film for why he's not going to come and be part of the team at this point. No, they just, uh, I wrote it down. Leia needs pilots. My flying days are long gone. Oh, shut up. Another just like clunky, clunky set. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen. I I wonder. Yeah, well. Are his flying days really gone? When you set set it up like that. You know, and and maybe JJ's like, okay, come on, we all know that Lando's gonna come back and f- and fight, but you ha- you still have to do some work to make us feel like he's not. You know, like for if you really want it to pay off emotionally when he sh- when he comes back or when he shows up at the end and says on your left cap, right? Well, Marvel's really good at this. Marvel's really good at either just doing taking some time and building like oh lando's flying days really are over and yeah we all know they're not but let's let's take some time with it and make it land emotionally he feels like they're over right and if he feels like they're over then we know that he had to overcome some things if he has reasons but if he just says exposition i do not wish to do this and it's like okay well he's probably gonna do it because that's how stories work and we're not idiots right the other thing that marvel does is if they are going to just fly past a plot point like that they'll do it with humor right like oh it looks like tony's dead but we all know he's not dead hulk's gonna pick him up and body slam him right and we're just gonna bypass the whole maudlin scene where everybody's sad because iron man died yep marvel is always doing things like that and it's just much more you know, you can charming. Try, it's much more charming and it's much more intelligent filmmaking at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, when you have all those tropes to play with, then you can play with them, right? Like, and you choose carefully, like, this is the trope we're going to just lean into and try and do well. This is the trope we're going to subvert, make a joke of. This is the whatever. trope we're going to do, but we're going to do with a wink. Like, you have to be careful about those things in something like this. And J.J. Abrams is just, he's ham fisted is the right, yeah. He has just ham-fisted. tone deaf to drama and comedy and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, 
here they all are on this mission and obviously there should be a mentor and he should get a call to action and he should not he should reject the call to action let's just do that real quick yeah oh yeah chewbacca got taken lando's not gonna care (sighs) oh man (laughs) well we'll get to chewbacca in a second but there's nothing i hate more than the chewbacca's arc in this movie but first we have to talk about that's saying something they fly now Oh, please. For goodness sakes. The clones fly. The Mandalorians fly. Everybody flies. Everybody flies. flies. Jetpacks are a thing going back to as far as they go. There's nothing. Oh, no. The least competent guys, least scary villains in all of Star Wars fly. Yeah. Great. Stormtroopers with jetpacks. Killer innovation, dude. I mean- Come on. Well, and I know. Uh, yeah, it it's fine for for Poe and Finn, I guess, and Ray to not know that jetpacks are a thing in this universe. Just like we had to pretend like everybody forgot who the Jedi are, right? But <laughs> they forgot Jedi and jetpack. They just don't like J words. <laughs> They're not strong on J words. <laughs> oh, brother. Well, and I know Star Wars invented the whole insouciant wit in the face of danger thing like that is george lucas's contribution to action cinema is like we're fine how are you you know that that, that is a, a new hope started that yeah. but man we can do a little bit better in the wit department than some rescue yeah well but star wars had like get this big walking carpet out of my way which right. to my mind or you came in that you're braver than i thought not great lines but better than they fly now. They fly now. They, they fly, fly now. now. <laughs> <laughs> Our characters don't take it that they seriously. They fly now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, that doesn't, this walking carpet took somebody five minutes to write. They fly now is just the first thing that J.J. Abrams thought of as he was typing in Final right. Draft Pro. Okay. They go into the sand pit. Yeah. Finn has something he wants to tell Ray. What do you I'm think? Force sensitive. Do you, I guess it's kind of cute that he never actually says that. That does the audience give the audience a little bit of credit, maybe. Although they rush through it so much that it almost feels like a mistake. Like they just forgot to. You, <laughs> you wouldn't put them like past that. just forgetting to show the scene where he says, "I'm force sensitive." But then from that moment on, we just have all of these ham-fisted scenes of like Finn senses something. Finn knows this. Finn knows that. Finn knows this. Finn knows that. He knows which way to go. I mean, even down at the bottom of, as soon as he gets to the bottom of that pit, he knows the right way to go because he senses it, but we got to let Ray the Jedi do it. And so she picks the same way that he would have, you know, it's just like that sort of thing. I don't know if I went to the bathroom or what, but the scene where he he's talking to, I'm sorry, I don't know what Jana. her name is, the Jana, he basically says, I'm force sensitive, but he doesn't say it. That yeah. scene goes by so fast. I actually missed the acknowledgement the first time. I don't know if I was looking at my phone or, or what, but the first time I saw the movie, I was like, well, obviously Finn's force sensitive, but they never actually acknowledged it. A- acknowledged it. It's the way this movie's put together. Everything goes so fast. Nothing has time to land. Yeah, it really doesn't land. And it's the kind of thing, like, I bet if I went and asked my kids if Finn was force sensitive, I can't tell you what they would say. Right. I would, I would guess more than half of them would be like, no, he's just a dude with a blaster. Well, I like to think that I understand how movies work and storytelling works, but somehow, and and I knew Finn was force sensitive, but somehow I missed the acknowledgement the first time. I don't know what happened. Uh, so they, so Ray transfers a bit of life into the worm creature. Uh huh. I just transferred a bit of life. Yep. 
that's definitely not going to come back later. Yeah. We definitely didn't need to establish that power. And, uh, well, I will say this compared to the other setups in this movie, it's much, like the, I don't like doing the thing that I'm going to do later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, this is an okay one. At least there's a plot reason for her to do it. Like that's, that's one Oh one that, that the movie should be at its worst. That. Like, like that. Yeah. Instead, this is one of the better moments. We do have a good line from C-3PO, one of my favorite lines. You're telling us the one time we need to, we need you to talk, you can't? Irony, sir. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cute. You can come in. You just have to sit through us doing this thing. Why don't you just join it? You saw Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, right? I did. Okay. Hey, folks. Ben Solzer just walked in. Hi, everyone. And... We're going to have him give his thoughts. Ben, when, when's the last time you saw Rise of Skywalker? I saw it when it first came out or thereabouts, not opening night, but sometime during the Christmas holiday. Yeah. There you go. So we'll we'll have, Ben, you can just chime in where you, you remember things. We're doing our scene by scene breakdown <laughs> of this amazing movie. I'm glad I made it here in time. I'm, I'm glad you made it too. Uh, Jake, you want to give Ben like the one minute version of what what our take is on this movie while I get some coffee? Sure. Would you bring me back some coffee too? I would. Uh, it's probably the single worst Star Wars movie of all time. It's irredeemable and we hate it passionately. (laughs) And Uh. Nathan is certainly prepared to argue and I am willing to go there with him, I think, that it's worse than The Last Jedi. It's just irredeemably bad. A meaningful character. Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really have any problem with that argument. (laughs) Rise of Skywalker is such a mess of dead ends. Yeah. That are are just, uh, what would you say, they're welded together. Yeah, exactly. As soon as we have a setup, we're going to just pay it off and then... We're not going to leave any avenue for the imagination to be triggered or the or emotions to be, to be triggered <laughs> on your own or outside of this. It's just like, yeah. That makes me think of going through Lord mm. of the Rings, how every moment's like um, just imagination triggering. Like, gee, I wonder what the Barrow Whites are really up to and what's going on here. I wonder what was down that avenue that they didn't have time to explore. I right, wonder, yeah. wonder if those Ents will ever get their wives back. Like, there's just... Mm-hmm. so many more questions and that leads to the feeling of mystery and of fantasy and of, of fa- the real of the fae kind of world deep lived in world yeah mm-hmm. yeah tolkien was amazing at that right it's what any great uh world builder does is trigger your imagination so you want to know more than they're e- a- even able to tell you in the confines of the story but this movie just is the worst <laughs> <laughs> so we're at probably the best section of the movie though in my mind which is ray versus kylo in the tie fighter i think that this is probably the coolest scene little this is a cool section of the of the movie i think it it begins to open up some possibilities for where the movie might go and then the movie's like no we're not doing that (laughs) (laughs) hey you know we didn't deal with the fact uh maybe we should what's that they they did that little clunky thing where kylo ren is manipulating ray yeah. To the dark side, he has to go put his hand on Vader's mask to do it. Yeah. And he's going to send her a vision and yeah, ter- distract her so she can't complete her training. Yeah. I don't know what to say the about reason those that, The reason that, 
you know, I, you think of that in this moment is because he comes back later when they're on the ship saying, he basically exposits to her, I was manipulating you to yeah. show you that you are, and I had to see for myself that you really were, have the dark side within you and you are in fact a Palpatine. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Okay. But yeah, Ray versus Ren and the TIE Fighter. Well, this, so that's a fun, that's just that whole scene of just, that mm. was a well-conceived idea. Well, it's the one place it in the was... movie that has some breathing space because we're going to set up the action. We're going to have the thing coming in the distance. We're going to, Ray's going to be preparing for it. Of course, they blew it in the first trailer, like the trailer yeah, makers. Yeah, too bad. Which was too bad. But it's a cool moment. Ray's going to actually have, be powered up in a way that a cool old Jedi, like from Clone Wars, might be able to do some stuff, although they'd be dancing all over that fighter they would yeah they would have landed on the fighter and opened it up opened the top right and then kylo would have jumped out and they they would have have, (laughs) both jumped off of it together while fighting as it crashed right and and jumped on (laughs) levitating rocks and stuff um but anyway it's a cool moment and it's cool when what's especially cool is when it crashes and then kylo gets out a real potent bad guy yeah and they start having a force battle over Chewie's transport. Yeah. And then... Force lightning. The coolest thing, a great plot, mo- a great emotional moment for the movie. Ray doesn't understand her own power. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand the dark side. This is, this is, this is good. I love this. And she blows up Chewbacca. With Sith lightning. With Sith lightning. A character that... A little one note, Chewbacca. I mean, I'm just going to go out there, Star Wars fans. I don't think we needed to explore Chewbacca anymore. This would have been a good calculated sacrifice to give this movie some weight, to give it some emotion, Well, to play on old things in a smart way. Like this character that you love, but that really doesn't do anything. He's Han Solo's dog. Well, well, look, 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 rewrite it this way. Lando and Chewie have a moment together. Yeah. Chewie tells Lando about Han dying. Lando gets really sad about it. He says to Chewie, man, why don't you just, you know, you're 250 years old. Why don't you just retire here with me? Haven't you seen enough and been through enough? This would be a great, this would be great. (laughs) It would. No, I really like this. It's like the old, uh, I'm retiring tomorrow cliche for the cop who's about to get blown up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chewie's like, you know, no, I, Sorry, I, I gotta. As long as there's evil to be fought. evil to be fought, I, you know I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna f- complete the mission, and yeah, things suck and are sad. But you should come with us. And Lando's like, "Well, I've had my own pain and problems here." Mm-hmm. And we allude to his daughter being taken away. We just give them a real moment together. That feels like there's some tension there between the two of them, and then then we can really make. If we've had a r- bit of real emotion with Chewbacca, we can we can make him just a dumb casualty of war and really devastate our characters, all of them by it, and use that to work on Lando in a way that makes his return to the fight actually resonant. You know, Chewie's actually sacrificed and brought something back. Mm. Redemptive value. There's redemptive value in his sacrifice because he brought Lando and Lando brought the fleet of scavengers and low lives right like let's let's not have him show up back at the rebel base let's have lando show up at the end 
for Chewbacca. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, go ahead. For Han and Chewie. Like, yeah. you know. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like, you could do that. You could do that. I mean, I know a lot of people wouldn't accept. I feel myself kicking a little bit at you saying that it was a good end for Chewbacca. Oh, it's a but, wonderful end because it's completely unfair. And the whole point, if you want to give raise some journey journey some some pathos and if you want to give make the dark side scary and if you want to teach kids a valuable lesson that you know jk rowling wasn't above teaching them with serious black it's sometimes people that we like die and it's just not fair well and then you could let ren or palpatine use it to manipulate her you don't understand your power you've not been trained properly you kill your own friends with it because you don't know what you're doing. You need a, you know, come back to that line. You need a teacher. Right. And you don't have one. And the Jedi have failed you. Yeah. Well, and, and then you've got, you know, then you can even bring some potency to that whole ill conceived idea of, I am your grandfather and I know that you don't have any father figures, but I just want you to kill me because it will save your friends. Like, kind of. <laughs> idiotic conceit like (laughs) the only way you can save your friends is if you kill me (laughs) kill me and become the sith empress you know like (laughs) i (laughs) if she's actually by her own hand on accident lost a friend yeah it just raises the stakes it raises the stakes and she can't abide and he's able to say to her you know you've already killed chewbacca you've already killed one of your friends yeah you're killing them up there now it really does. No, it it makes so much sense, and it brings so much, and and and, and it it just makes me so mad. You know, there there should be there should be consequences when major characters die. Well, I I gotta go. That's it for me. Really? Yeah, yeah. I came into this podcast to make it better and give people kind of a familiar friend to latch on to, Nathan. But. In the end, I just had a kind of a bit roll that didn't add much to your podcast, and now I'm going to leave, and I hope people really feel it emotionally. That was an incredibly short amount of time between the setup and the payoff. I'm sorry, Nathan. It was the best that we could do. Don't you think we should have given some breathing space to kind of establish you as a character who had... Goodbye. Good riddance. Don't cry, Jake. See ya. Don't cry. I'm I'm just a bit player. I think this is... I don't... This is bad storytelling. Well... Eh, who cares? It's cool. The show must go on. Next time, momentum. Next time, when I when I come in like this, I'll like make the best point that you guys have been making for for the whole hour. Listen, listen, we got to keep this moving along, and you're slowing it down. And and the listeners will feel like, where did Ben even come from? Stop! You're slowing the story down. Get out. Yeah. All right. Bye. Get off screen. Wow. (laughs) Well, you know, we do need to get this podcast out. (laughs) It's not like we have any breathing space for that. So. Okay, true story, folks. Ben showed up to work on something else, and he wasn't here for the podcast. Um, yeah, he poked his head in, and we said, "Oh, sit down." And then we realized he had other work that he yeah, we, to be we should. Doing. Uh, if you want great skits for Sound of Sanity, then uh, that's what he should actually be working on right now. Uh, luckily, there was nothing at all. There wasn't any kind of moral or point to what we just did with Ben. Yeah. We weren't making any commentary whatsoever on J.J. Abrams and the way that he handled this movie. Well, because it's all about momentum. Jake is not about themes that resonate with people. In podcasting especially, it's just all about... Forward momentum. Forward motion. So, speaking of forward motion, even if you're gonna bring Chewie back, let his death breathe for more than a scene, Jar Jar Abrams. Come on. (laughs) Dude. Ah...
Well, but be, I mean, be careful what you wish for, because if they had, if he had milked it and then brought him back. Yeah. If he had had slow motion crying outside the mines of Moria. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, it is so blatant, like, ah, you know, he, of course he survived. That's what people do in movies. We're not going to set up, like, different transport ship. Like, we don't even have to care about that plot point at all. And I don't really, except for that it's just indicative of this movie's laziness. Like, there is no reason that Chewbacca survived. It looked like Chewbacca died. I guess he was on a different ship, though, for some reason. Like, when, where, what different ship? (sighs) Ah. Yeah, I hate it. I hate Chewbacca coming back so much. I just think here's a little glimpse of something interesting we could have done. And then they kick us, kick us in the shins. And now we get to race to Kamiji. Yeah, where we go to another planet that we don't care about to meet another character that we don't care about. Jake, you don't care about Jory Bliss? No. But Carrie Russell did interviews and told us how cool Jory Bliss was, and they sold Jory Bliss action Isn't figures. Story? <laughs> sure, probably. <laughs> I wasn't doing a, a thing there, but maybe I should have. You're right. It is Zori. <laughs> I hate Kamiji as a planet. It just looks like a Game of Thrones backlot, like a snowy medieval kind of. Like, there's no character to this place. Like, George. Or, oh, no. We're going to go into a cantina like environment. George Lucas would never not spend J, Ryan Johnson would never not spend two minutes just telling you this is where we're at this is this is the place this is what it's like these are the kinds of people that's the whole fun of Star Wars to so take that away in the name of momentum is dumb well at least the Sith Empire blew it to smithereens yeah well good riddance yeah bad rubbish I mean it just looks like a it just looks like a set it, it's, just, it's just it's it's so lame <sighs> And then we have this, again, I mean, I'm just going to keep saying this over and over again. We have a quick setup for an immediate payoff without any time for it to land emotionally or for us to live with it with this Zori Bliss character. Like, she doesn't like Poe. Oh, now she does. I mean, this movie that's such bad storytelling. This movie does it. They've got a history together. He has a dark past. Foe and Pen are... Foe and Pen. Foe and Pen. <laughs> Aren't those guys I magicians? Keep, yeah, I keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Finn and... Peller. <laughs> Finn and Peller, yeah. Uh, but it's like, we as an audience need to live with the fact that they, these characters are at odds before we can feel anything about them suddenly not being at odds. And this movie will do that again. We need to live with the fact that Kylo is consolidating power and killing everybody before we're suddenly asked to buy that he's going to bow the knee to Palpatine. Like, this movie just has no time for things to resonate. Give us, give us two movies. Give us a... F- four-hour cut this is the star wars movie i think besides maybe rogue one that i'd most like to see in a a director's cut yeah on just to get more i i want to believe as much fun as it is to make fun of jj abrams at this point i want to believe he had something cool in mind for all of this something cool in mind for all of this that the suits just said it's got to move it's got to go got to get to the end two hours got to turn it turn over ticket things can't make a three-hour movie and he was stuck in this rock between the rock and a hard place of johnson left me nowhere to go he cut off all avenues for me and i've got two hours to make this nine episode saga matter and have some kind of consummation and i 
I mean, think of how impossible it, you know, it, it, it is. Think of how impossible that is to construct from the ground up. And I know that I really do think that we could have done something. And I really do think, especially watching it, like if we had the Trevorrow script or if we had, but then you put them in the time crunch and everything else. It's just like, I want to have some sympathy for Abrams between Kennedy and Johnson. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Johnson, our old whipping boy, does deserve some of the blame. Like, ideally, the movie that came before this would set a lot of things up that he could then pay off. Instead, J.J. Abrams is stuck with the unenviable task of having to do all the setups and and payoffs, which is not a good position to be in. It's a mean thing. It's just a mean thing to do. And it means that he has to, like like literally at the end of- you're going to do that and then call it clever. It, what a... Yeah, he's a jerk. What a jerk. He's a jerk. Do. He should just write more Knives Out movies. Like, just and make I mo- hope he does because uh, Knives Out was great. Yeah, it's fun. Like, a movie that exists to be clever is a movie that Ryan Johnson should do because he likes to be clever. A movie that exists for other things to besides being clever is not a movie that he should do. Uh, okay, 3PO does another false sacrifice. We meet Babu Frick, who I guess the internet liked, but he don't have a candle on Baby Yoda. No, I remember I liked Babu Frick in theaters, but I didn't care about him this go around. I, I also liked, I I thought Dio was kind of cute first go around. I didn't care about him this go around either. He just doesn't have a, like, there's not much space for Dio. Like, yeah. he doesn't have a lot to land. And I don't know why Abrams has decided it's a star wars trope that he has to introduce a new sympathetic robot every time like can't we just live with the sympathetic robot children that we already have yeah poe and jory have this scene or zori whatever her name is yeah we put out a call nobody came man this movie could have started with a call that nobody came to or something i I, maybe that's that that was from last jedi that's that is last jedi okay but still you just don't feel the weight of the hopelessness you know i mean right. we want to do like an elijah there are no other good people in israel kind of thing here that's what we're going for but you never get that feeling no well that's because we start out with uh, aren't our guys awesome as they hyper jump light speed skip or whatever they call it right hyper speed skip light jumps whatever they they call it a light thing skip yeah hyper yeah light, whatever some skip yeah thing and then poe says come with us and jory says or zori or whatever says no I don't know why or why it matters, but she's just saying no so she can come back. Yeah. Well, she's got to stay trapped on the planet that's going to blow up so that we can feel like Poe's going to be sad to learn that before we discover that she survived. (laughs) In other words, it felt like it mattered, but (laughs) surprise, it didn't. Okay, now we're going to get to- Plot machinations. So- Fake emotional resonance. A lot of people like conservative Christians complained about this, and it didn't really bother me the first time, but it did bother me a lot this time. They go out of their way to put a bunch of female stormtroopers. This next, this rescue scene- I felt that too. I didn't didn't even hardly notice it the first time. But it's just like, oh well, uh, my wife likes to watch movies with subtitles. And so the dumb subtitles would say, female stormtrooper every time. And then the person would inevitably get blasted. And it was just like, <laughs> why are we being egalitarian with our villains here? Mm-hmm. What, what do we gain by showing that the space Nazis are equal opportunity <laughs> recruiters? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get what, how it serves the cause of feminism. I mean, I do. But it, uh, it's, it's well, really distasteful. It really should be, if anything, I mean, they're stealing children. 
They're stealing boys and girls. I guess that was the point that they, they wanted to make. Personally, I'm glad they did it because it makes them that much more evil and deserving to be punished and blown to bits. They weren't just stealing little boys. They were stealing little girls and making them into their... I mean, I guess if... if so if, take that. If we were allowed to... Feminists lose. If we were allowed to make that land, if... Uh, no, you're not allowed to make it land, but I'm I'm deciding right now that that's my interpretation. Yeah, I wish I wish we were still in the era where our male heroes could be slightly outraged. Like even if Ray was going to give them a civics lesson, if Poe could be like, "They steal little girls, that's really bad," and then Ray could be like, "No, no, girls are cool too," which is why I'm here because I'm more awesome than you. Right? Yeah, let her let her have that speech. Yeah, but let him have the. My basic instinct is that this sucks. Even as far back as 10, 15 years ago, our heroes could think Nod something like that. that yeah. yeah. But no. So we're going to get the Ray and Kylo show- showdown. He's going to reveal that she's Palpatine's daughter. Granddaughter. Granddaughter. Ryan Johnson introduced a neat conceit, and I enjoy them continuing to do the exact same thing, not really building on it, but just extending it of them having these psychic battles where they can yeah. pass things back and forth and yeah. stuff. He can take the necklace. From locations. They destroy the Vader mask fire thing. That stuff's cool. I mean, it's still kind of my same con problem, though, because we haven't done any work in this movie. I guess everybody remembers that Palpatine was evil. But the fact that Rey would be so devastated by it, you need to, in this movie, set that up, actually. You need to say, like, why she hates Palpatine or what Palpatine represents to her. And I get we're supposed to kind of assume that Palpatine's just bad well if you wanted to be charitable you get the visions where you get you could you piece together that palpatine ordered her parents to be killed right that's enough that could be enough yeah that could be enough but i wish we'd had time to live with that even like if in movie number two she'd really been processing that hardcore her parents being killed instead of movie number two just telling us her parents were junk traders that didn't care about her yep which I've said it before. I love that, by the way. And I, I'm no longer angry that they changed it because there's just better things to be angry about with this movie. But I think it's her being... I joined the rest of the world thinking her being Palpatine's daughter is pretty dumb. And her being the daughter of a nobody is actually pretty smart, I think. At least it's something interesting and different. And says something about the Force and about lineage that could be an interesting counterbalance to the whole Skywalker chosen one mythos. Well, if you wanted to make it work, what you would really need is the final legacy of Anakin Skywalker is that this orphaned slave child becomes the father to a pair of awesome kids that are going to be father and mother to the fatherless. Yeah, which I love. And and the idea of- And raise up all the fatherless of the galaxy to be- loved and cared for mothered and fathered children who can be heroes and can and can and can help save and restore the galaxy by taking in and caring for and raising up and training the weak disempowered fatherless orphans of the galaxy which is great and i I think the new jedi order is not we go and take children from their families and train them but we go out and we find all those little kids that are slaves and oppressed and orphans, and we just adopt them into our family and we create a family. Which is what Anakin would have wanted. 
Yeah. I mean, that's that. So that's what his Jedi order would be. That is exactly um, what his Jedi order would and, be. And that would be great. And, and then her being a junk trader's, you know, some daughters of just some lamos is great because she does become Ray Skywalker and it's really and moving. Then, yeah, then, then it matters. Like, then Ray matters. Then you see this whole trilogy has a point because it is connected to the legacy of Anakin Skywalker. Like what Anakin gave us is that now everybody can be Anakin. That little kid with the broom in uh, Last Jedi can be Anakin Skywalker now. That's yeah. pretty cool. But, oh, she's just a different kind of chosen one. Oh my goodness. So lame. So lame. I mean, it turns out everything that Last Jedi was trying to kind of do that was interesting we're going to retcon like now it, we're back to sort of Anakin being the chosen one. It's just like always going to be a new chosen well, one. So then you see what this is what JJ feels like he's got to do. I have to undo all of the damage that Johnson did. I have to set up a new problem and I have to pay it all off. Like that was what, you know, that was what he felt like he was left trying well, to do. I, with just, this film. I, I just wish he'd been able to do two movies because. I mean, A, they would have made more money. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, what's yeah. the problem with two movies? Harry Potter did it, you know? Uh, yep. it, it was kind of a thing there for a minute. Like, uh, Hunger Games did it. Harry Potter did it. We're going to split our finale well, into Hobbit two. The Hobbit became three movies. The Hobbit became three. You guys don't like making more money? You want to make less money? I don't understand. Yeah. Kathleen, I, I, it's one place where they decided to be traditionalists. Like George wouldn't have wanted it or something. Like we did, we do trilogies. Oh, shut and up. I was like, whatever. You've never cared what George thinks. You've only trotted out George to justify your actions here and there and right. to make the fanboys simmer down. Yep. Okay. So Ray and Kylo showdown. Fine. A lot of creepy Marlon Brando and the wild ones kind of bad boy seduces innocent girl vibes there, but whatever. I guess we can forget about that later when it turns out that you really can redeem yeah. a bad boy. Well, you can't, but mom can. Yeah, but mom's dead. No offense, folks. Hux is the spy. Now, my wife doesn't care about Hux, probably doesn't remember Last Jedi or who Hux is. I mean, she's seen these movies, but she's not the kind of, you know, she's like everybody's wife. I think she just doesn't pay that much attention to Star Wars because she's a girl. But she was like, oh, Hux is the spy. That's kind of interesting. This wimpy, all she was just processing it through the movie that she was watching right now. Mm -hmm. And so she sees there's this guy that Kylo Ren never gives the time of day. I think I called that one, by yeah, the way. Yeah, oh, well, we called everything. I mean- Yeah, we normally do. You can- I, you guess can, I, I guess I felt enough pride in calling that one before that Hux would, they'd make Hux into a spy before. Well, what was good about that call is that it was a moral call. Like they've, Ryan Johnson has emasculated Hux to such a degree yeah. that the literally the only thing they've got left is spy yeah. turncoat yeah. Um, or self-sabotage or something like yeah, that. Yeah, those were the two options, right? And that's what exactly what they did. So my wife is only processing it through, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then he says, I don't care if you win. I need Kylo Ren to lose. And she's just like, I've never seen her eyes roll more. No, I have. I take that back. They rolled even more when he was gunned down two seconds later. I mean, I think she, she was just rapidly processing like, oh, that's interesting. No, it's not. Oh, that's yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's over. Well, that was sure quick and lame and meaningless. I guess that's the only thing to say about it, it is a, it quick and lame and meaningless. It was a pretty sour grapes. It was, uh, I felt passive aggression 
or aggression in it toward Johnson. Yeah, there's a couple moments like that in this movie, the, the whole Luke scene like that. Yeah. But, but the, the, this this was like, well, you've- you, know, you ruined Hux, so- Here. We'll put him out of his misery now. Like, you ran over my dog. I guess I'll shoot him. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. That's what it felt like. But I'm going to make you watch it. But the thing is, you've got a good actor and Dominique Gleason, whatever his name is, like, this, give, give this guy a scene. Come on. It's, it's just like Kelly Marie, Marie Tran as Rose. Maybe you don't like what Ryan Johnson did, but- the movie, the Star Wars brand has now asked people to invest in these two characters, treat them with some respect, mm-hmm. just as being part of a team player. The fans ultimately aren't going to like feeling like, I mean, it's just like everybody begged George Lucas to kill Jar Jar off in the second prequel. As, as much as that would have been enjoyable in the moment, it would have been the wrong move because it would have effectively said, yeah, that character that we asked you to buy into was just really stupid and we're sorry yeah um but i guess as i say that it's like well why didn't they apologize i don't know you gotta you gotta have the courage of your convictions yeah well and and you don't want to be mean to ahmed best and to the team that made jar jar work exactly it's like you you gotta think about the you gotta think about everybody even if you're not thinking about the fans or the kids that invested in Jar Jar. Think about the actors. That... Exactly. The the team that animated him, all that stuff. But, you know, Lucas always had his reasons, and now he's got his interpreter. And there's a really great interpretation of Jar Jar's existence out there now, thanks to Dave Filoni. Is that in the second episode of the gallery Yeah. thing? We should talk about that behind the paywall, because... Uh... I think it, uh, it might be nice to do a whole episode on those gallery things. I actually. think so too. But the last 10 minutes of the second episode of the of the Disney gallery on The Mandalorian is everything you need to know about Star Wars and why Dave Filoni is the only person in all of Disney who understands. Yep. Just hand him the keys. Come on. Uh, I know the internet has had a lot of fun with this, but honestly, who slept with Emperor Palpatine? That is... That is so dumb. Yeah. I mean, I guess he's the supreme being. He can have any woman he wants kind of thing. Or, or are the, her parents clones or something? No, I think the novelization reveals that, it, yeah, her parents are clones or something like that. Okay, so we actually did try to dodge that bullet. Yeah, I think I think the, the noveliza- novelization dodges the bullet. I don't think he actually slept with anybody. I think... I think we're dealing with clones and crap like that. Yay. You know, as you say that, I'm actually disappointed. I kind of enjoyed having the the tension of that out there. Or or even just like, could, could I guess the timeline wouldn't work out if Counselor, uh, what's his name? Chancellor Palpatine just had a wife or something. No. Uh, okay. Ray's dark now. People keep telling me they know me. Maybe no one does. She says to Finn on the spaceship as... This is, all three of these movies have done a lame job of dealing with. She's gonna have all these visions that she's not gonna confide in Leia or anybody else. Well, you need to give the character actions that are motivated by her dark side. You need to show us the dark side, not just keep reminding us she's got a dark side. By the way, don't forget. But she never does anything all that dark. This is why the idea of accidentally killing Chewie is so intriguing because that's like an action where she's trying to protect somebody and she you know what they tried to do is say well she started to get frustrated you know during her training and Rin was manipulating her and the, so as she got frustrated she tapped into the dark side to destroy the thing mm-hmm. there she is battling Rin for the transport and she 
is frustrated and scared. She's going to lose him. And so she taps into the dark side. She's fighting Ren, you know, and he's bringing up all these dark thoughts and feelings. And so she taps into the dark side or whatever. Like, But you kind of need to see that. I don't know that there's a rule for this, but in my mind, a character needs to do something three times for for us to kind of, I don't know if the three is the real number, but like we need to see a continuum of her tapping into the dark side a little bit here and then more here and then. Well, and if there was a signal for it, like. Even just the John Williams music. Imperial cue. March type music. Yeah. Like it doesn't have, I mean, let's not use the Imperial March. Please, no. But yeah, exactly. Like that's, the Clone Wars lets you know when Anakin is is accessing his dark side because it plays some version, some little thematic hint of the Imperial March. Right. You can do that with the music. You know, all, all Abrams has to do is make a note to John Williams. She's accessing the dark side here and we need to f- the music to reflect that. Yep. And John Williams is the kind of guy that can save bad movies by just doing exactly that. Like the that. music tells you what Abrams couldn't show you or tell you in words or whatever on screen. Yep. I mean, George Lucas certainly leaned on that crutch. So we go to Endor. The blade tells. It's not even a crutch. It's just part of the package of what you have to work with. Right. right? Well, like, it's, it's a crutch. Like in the prequels, sometimes it's a crutch because George Lucas can't write and so right he, so, he wouldn't walk without it and so it's a crutch but yeah but in the hands of a good filmmaker it's just another tool, no it's just right? another tool like, right exactly uh so endor we meet Jana. the blade tells super lame i'm sorry like oh my who set up that mcguffin why did they do it that way what's what sith prophet or cultist in his right mind would where did that dagger come from yeah like who made that and why who who made it after the ruin Uh, either it was yeah it was some sith prophet from ancient times who knew how the death star was going to but i'm imagining it's like some sith dork who somehow doesn't think that in a wavy uh disruptive environment like that he's assuming everything's going to stay the same and he can build his entire knife around exactly this piece of wreckage one wave hits one piston in that thing and suddenly yeah his whole wayfinder is mess anyway it's so it's really dumb uh we meet Jana. i don't like the conceit of i mean i i guess the finn meets a stormtrooper thing is he's not alone there are other stormtroopers that have defected because they overcame their programming when they were forced to kill innocent civilians. But I'm team Rose here. The fact that JJ Abrams is not extending and building on the relate though one of the sweeter things despite that dumb last scene of the last movie, the relationship between Rose and Finn uh is stupid. Like it feels like sour grapes. Like we already had a romance for Finn. We had a character that made sense for him and we had a relationship going we're just going to throw that away. I mean, at least make it a love triangle. Rose is jealous. Well, we've already got like a love quadrangle here. We, we're trying to ship uh, Finn and Poe. We're trying to ship Finn and Ray, And we're trying to ship Finn and Rose. Now we're trying to ship Finn and Janna. Like, yeah. Well, and not having... Which is why John Boyega has gone off the rails after this is all done. Like... You asked me to be in this thing, and what did you do to my character? Like, mm-hmm. what the heck? Yeah, well, I don't blame him. Uh, okay, so 
Ray goes to the Death Star. There's no atmosphere. There's no build up. It's just like, we're in a spooky place. Don't you feel spooky? But we're not going to take the time to make you feel spooky. We get a completely perfunctory trailer moment where Ray fights Evil Ray, which I mean, who in their right mind with any nerd cred didn't see that image in the trailer and know it was some kind of force, force vision, vision or, yeah. or something like there's no way Ray is even if Ray turns evil there's no way she's dressing like that and it's in the trailer right yeah exactly. you know it's the combination of all those things like well yeah it's just stupid uh they have a pretty cool fight I guess on in the Death Star wreckage yeah it's fine it's fine it's nothing like building on the great lightsaber fights of yore you know it's not it's not the logical extension of the prequel lightsaber fights that were so awesome it's the logical extension of the return of the jedi fight i guess yeah because abrams just as refuses to make lightsaber fighting as cool as it actually should be in the larger and is in the larger star wars you're gonna do some big jumps and flips though there's some but it's like when she does something that Anakin and the prequels did it in his sleep. We're supposed to be impressed. Whoa, I can't believe Jedi can do that. And he's just like banking on nobody bringing any meaning or weight from the prequels. And it's, 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 yeah. it's the wrong move. Kids like, I'm sorry you didn't, you were too old for them, Abrams. I really am. But kids, even people of my generation who aren't kids, liked those movies and had to live with them and digest them and treat them with some amount of respect as part of Star Wars. You just can't. Thanks for at least you acknowledging can't that the that Sith are a thing. Star Wars. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the, that's the other thing that just like, hey, JJ, if what you're telling us is that you have the right to treat the prequels like they're not Star Wars canon, then you're telling us that we and everybody else has the right to treat your movies like they're not Star Wars canon. Right. That's exactly, that, that's, that's, that's such a wise thing to say, Jake. That's that exactly right. You are empowering the fandom this movie is giving you. is giving the fandom the right to hate it as it goes because it because it says it hates other the, le- the legacy of the, of Star Wars canon and it says it if you complain enough say it has to say we affirm and buy into and embrace all Star Wars canon and we are going to tip our hat to all of Star Wars canon as we build on all of Star Wars canon. Doing the things that we like. Okay, you don't like some of the stuff from the prequels, don't do them, but don't act like they're garbage. Exactly. You treat them like they're garbage and you have, you've opened the door. You've opened the door. You've opened Pandora's box. You have said, you have yourself delegitimized part of this, which means you've opened up the door for anybody to, to pick and choose what they want to legitimize and what they want to delegitimize. And, and you have empowered fandom to complain about things like Kelly Marie Tran. Like, guess what? If the Nazi, you know, white power people complain enough about a character, we actually will delegitimize her. Like yep. the crankiest, most toxic, if I may use the word people out there actually can make a big impact. If I'm somebody that, if I'm a troll, I'm only encouraged to be more of a troll after Rise of Skywalker gives in to so many of my my trolldoms. So what it takes to save anything is and again, this is what guys, I I know that people who've not watched The Clone Wars or Rebels probably get sick of me talking about them and about Dave Filoni, but that man humbly made himself George Lucas's son, fixed everything he screwed up, 
still to this day treats about and talks about George Lucas as a father, imports all of his own best ideas to Lucas. You can't tell the difference between what Filoni says was the awesome intent and what Lucas actually meant to do. Mm -hmm. He, he just owns everything and just works in his own little corners to make everything better. And you know, you have just enough information to know that behind the scenes, Filoni was not always happy with the thing. He did not want to bring back Darth Maul. He didn't want to bring back Darth Maul. He didn't want to do a lot of this stuff. George was a crazy old man that was giving him stupid dictums to do stupid things. And instead of complaining about it, instead of appealing to toxic fandom, instead of being a jerk on the internet, he just owns it. He covers George Lucas's nakedness. He makes Darth Maul one of the coolest things about Star Wars, right. uh, about both Clone Wars and Rebels. Like he brings Maul back into Rebels on his own when Lucas is out of the picture. Like mm-hmm. he just like continues to build on and complete that legacy of all these things that he either disagreed with or didn't want to do. Like he owns it all and he finds ways to make it work. And it's just like, that is what a good son does, and that is why he is Star Wars. That's what a good corporate brand manager does. Exactly. You don't. You just understand, even from a dollars and cents basic business point of view, like, hey, the solidarity, projected solidarity, is going to matter and win. Like, yeah, is some of it lip service? Yes, absolutely. That's what lip service is for. <laughs> 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 we are going to quietly shuffle some things we don't like aside and we are going to loudly feature other things. But what we're never going to do is give the middle finger to any part of our brand because it's exactly. just, it's disloyal. It feels bad. Whether the audience perceives it in a conscious way or not, it makes them feel bad. There's nobody, yep. even people that don't bring a lot of knowledge of the pie in the scenes. I don't think there's anybody that feels real good about the Luke Skywalker scene that we're going to talk about in a minute because it's just got the stench of sour grapes. Throwing each other under the bus. It's got the disdain of Mark Hamill's performance. It's just, it's ugly. It's ugly, yeah. And and, and what you need is somebody that's just a believer and a team player who is harmonizing these visions and these competing visions and understanding what good storytelling is and how to honor everybody who's been involved in the process up to now throw nobody under the bus, but improve on all of their work. Yeah. And it's just so basic. I mean, yeah. All right. So we've got this water fight. We've got the really sad attempt to try and make the whole Leia thing work. And it's just like, there's so much emotion that you're supposed to feel. Maz Kanata reaching our son will take all the strength that Leia has. Which, by the way, even J.J. Abrams can't even pay off his own ideas like Maz Kanata. Who was she? She was nobody. (laughs) She didn't matter. (laughs) She wasn't the new Yoda or anything. She was just some lady with goggles that helped out. He's really old and has some force sensitivities somehow, somewhere. Well, I, I, I think, honestly, given that we could write new stuff for Maz, if Maz showed up and redeemed Ben Solo, it would be better than what we've got because at least this is a character that's in play and we have an actress that can perform new things as far given what they had to do well look if you just pretend that maz kanata was there with luke at the jedi academy Mm -hmm. was there with luke and leia from the beginning yeah there's like that's something that could be retconned oh my goodness the retcon possibilities are endless you just act like she you 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 
set up just a little bit of all she has to do is say something to the effect of, well, I don't know Kylo Ren, but I know Ben Solo. Mm-hmm. I knew him as a child. Right. Things and, we could have been weaving into these other movies if we'd had any kind of a plan. Yeah, any kind of plan or foresight. You could conceivably find a really smart way to set that up early in the film, mm-hmm. have Maz show up. And Maz represents, Maz Kanata represents Leia, represents Han, represents Luke, represents all of them together when she shows up, tries to bring out Ben Solo. And then he can kill her too if we want. Like she can die or she can whatever. Like she can do a thing. Like she can say the one thing. And then you have all kinds of retcon possibilities of, okay, now we know that Maz Kanata needs to figure in heavily to the to the Ben and Luke prequel TV series at the Jedi Academy. Like we can write that. We can make that all come back and have more emotional weight. Yep. But instead they tried to desperately make Carrie Fisher footage work and I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. I, I will say, I think I said this in our initial review, Adam Driver's a great actor. Oh man, yeah. He's so good. He makes this stuff almost work. <laughs> well, what happens is you 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 get redeemed Ben Solo and you just wonder what it makes you do in the middle of the movie is say, oh, there's a character I could have bought into this entire time. There is a character, if I had just had, if I had him earlier, if I had flashes of him, if I had anything about, if I had, if I had, if this movie was built around Ben Solo instead of Ray, if this, like. Well, it makes me, not not to make a big uh, point out of this, but it makes me realize how much I do miss having a straight I don't mean straight in the sexual sense, although I kind of do, but just a, a straight man type male lead in these movies. Like Finn and Poe are both sarcastic clowns that don't amount to that much But by the end of yeah. this trilogy. Having a sincere, serious male hero character, it just, it, it does a lot to the third act of this movie, actually. It gives, yeah. a, it gives me Whether as a dude- Whether it's Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan or- Luke. Yeah, or Anakin in Clone Wars or at Clone his Wars best. Clone Wars Anakin. Just suddenly having that guy, having him, you know. He's he, such an anchor point. He's got a little bit of Guess the, what? the Han Solo and Real masculine leadership provides a sense of stability to everything around it. And a real masculine heroic leader in the center of your film provides stability to absolutely everything else around it. Yeah. Well, around him. And it's like, I would follow Ben Solo into battle. I'm not going to follow General, General, these two clowns right. into that. Like we're acting general and general and uh, quip momentum. Yeah. For get past dumb plot. Uh, Oscar Isaacs has. He's capable of doing he that. He has the chops. Yeah. They just, uh, that's where we have Ryan Johnson to thank for yeah, emasculating really the crap out of that character. Well, he's going to, He's. I don't know anything about Dune yet because I've not started reading it for the bookening, but I have a pretty good idea he's going to show up in that Dune movie and be like, hey, yo, this is what you could have had in me. Well, Dune is nothing but humorless, portentous characters being grand, having just read the three Dune novels not too long ago in preparation for the bookening. <laughs> All three of them. Huh? 
Well, there's six of them. I read okay. the I, I read the complete story of um, the Atreides line lineage, but then I gave up, and I probably will stay given up, honestly. But the they'll be able to do that really, really well. Like I, I love Tony Stark. I love Marvel for being quippy. I love quippy characters. I like movies with senses of humor. But somebody has to be the anchor point. And yeah. Well, that I mean, it is why the wokeness really hurt them because Joss Whedon, in what, why we why we had to throw Joss Whedon under the bus because of the wokeness. Mm-hmm. But we didn't do that. You can have a whole bunch of quippy characters as long as you have a Captain America as your anchor point. Yeah. Right, like Precisely. you have the straight hero, the straight guy, who is just like, and everybody wonders what he's there for because he's actually not all that special. Except, we actually need a sincere, straightforward, heroic Christian man that we can trust to, to rally around, to lead us, because we know that he is the real deal, mm-hmm. and he can inspire everybody else and lift everybody else up and challenge people. And challenge Tony, and Tony can respond, and Tony can be the guy. Tony can still go be the guy who takes the nuke to space, you know, and and takes the fall and proves Cap wrong. But you still get to want ask the question. Well, if Cap didn't challenge him on that, like, like, if there was nobody to prove wrong, then Tony wouldn't have even thought to do that, right? You know, it. And that's what Adam Driver. Adam Driver really brings that. You really miss getting a movie or two with this guy as a hero. I mean, Adam Driver, I I read about him once on Wikipedia. You know, I, I did a wiki thing on him for whatever reason. I think it was around the time Marriage Story came out. I was just curious. He was a Marine. Right. And he's got that gravitas to him, even when he's playing petulant or playing other he's things. He's been combat deployed. Like, he's he understands how this actually works. Right. And, and that's something that a character just, or, or an actor either brings or they don't. You can't really act that. And Adam Driver just has that like weight rests on his shoulders naturally. And so even when he's doing kind of the Han Solo shrug thing. It's got some real gravitas. It's got some bite to it. And you just feel like this is a guy that you don't want to mess with. And this is a guy that's inspiring and charismatic, like without trying to be like, this is just a cool guy. So I love Ben Solo. I miss the fact that we, I mourn the fact that we don't get more Ben Solo movies. Yeah. Like what you, what you feel like, in that, in the little bit that we get of Ben Solo, is Ben could have given us a live action version of everything that you love and think is awesome about Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars. Right, like he had that to give, and nobody asked, thought to ask him, ask it of him. Yeah, and it's just it's tragic because Clone Wars Anakin is the Jedi of all Jedi. He is he he's the Jedi. There's nobody better. We have not seen on screen. We have not seen the Jedi on screen. Not like we see the Jedi in Anakin Skywalker. Not like we see even the Jedi in Ahsoka Tano or in Kanan Jarrus from Rebels. We have not seen. The closest we get is a little bit of old Obi-Wan and flashes of Obi-Wan at various points. But Obi-Wan failed. Obi-Wan's the the other tragedy of the first trilogy. Obi-Wan was saddled with a burden that was too big for him and he failed. Mm-hmm. He let down his master and he let down his apprentice, his Padawan. He let them both down because he wasn't ready for the burden of it. And he had to go live in exile and deal with it. And 
that's heavy stuff. And the the Kenobi series better deal with that and deal with it well. I hope so. I hope so. Hopefully that's why they hopefully they paused production to write that stuff in, not write that stuff out. Yeah. Hopefully what happened is they realized they had started something. People are going to get so sick of me saying this sort of thing, and I don't care. Hopefully they thought they had a show and they realized that they needed to consult the chosen one. And he said, no, this is this is what happened with Obi-Wan in the prequels. This is what happened to him in Clone Wars. This is where he was at the end of A New Hope. This is what happened with him in Rebels. What's interesting about Obi-Wan and what's worth exploring is all of this stuff that you don't have in here. Yep, yep, yep. Although it could be just the opposite. They did have that stuff and Kathleen Kennedy was like, eh, this isn't good gender politics. Let's... So, okay, we've kind of gotten ahead of ourselves. You got the Harrison Ford cameo, which was obvious, and I, I do believe we called that, too. Yeah, we did. Because, of course, if Carrie Fisher's dead, the only way you're going to possibly pull off this redemption is to have a Han Force ghost or something. They went the route of <laughs> imaginary. <laughs> <laughs> you're just my memory. Yeah, you're just a memory. Like you might, your he, memory, We kid. might as well have had Harrison Ford pop up on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey, Kylo. And let's give him an I know moment. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, come on. I mean, it's nice to see Harrison Ford. He looks old. Whatever. So, okay. So, Leia reaches out through the force to Kylo Ren to Ben Solo, distracts him. Ray has been cornered. She's accessing the dark side again at his provocations. By the way, I hate Daisy Ridley's desperate. <sighs> Her, her, just her acting of desperate lightsaber fighting is stupid. But anyway, minor nitpick. Go ahead. She strikes. Ben pauses, is distracted, feels Leia. Drops his lightsaber. Dying. Drops his guard. Ray strikes a mortal blow in her anger. Then she feels it too. And then she has her what have I done moment. And she heals him. She kills Kylo Ren in that moment or Leia does, or they do together, right. whatever. She heals him. She disappears in his TIE fighter. Yep. Then we have all that, yeah, Han Solo cameo stuff, and Kylo Ren is dead. And Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Eh, whatever. What a cheap... I mean, what exactly was Leia supposed to be doing? We don't... We, nothing. because it, Dying. We, we couldn't write anything. I'm going to die now. Why didn't... If, if Leo... If Leia knew that the only thing that could bring Ben back was mommy, then she should have gotten on a ship years ago. What on earth was she doing sending her scoundrel ex-husband, who's proved to be just as much of a layabout and idiot as she always expected him to be in this timeline, to try and redeem their son? Why didn't she turn her ship around in Last Jedi, you know, let the guys keep escaping? But why didn't she get on a little shuttle and go see Kylo? Yeah, she's she's been letting the universe if, be if, ravaged by this guy that she knows she has the power to. She's the only person in the world that has the power to. Yeah, what really does make sense if that's how it is is instead of Finn and Rose doing some desperate, hey, we can get past and get in. Yeah, let's just have Leia do it. Have Leia show up. And they've had to write around Leia the whole time because Carrie Fisher is not interested in being part of this franchise and can't really act except for hard and sarcastically. They needed to realize that movie one, like we cannot build on Leia. Like yep. 
she should have been the one to die. Probably. I know Harrison Ford wanted out and never would have done another one, but trying to build around Leia as a fool's errand always has been. She's a bad actress. There's a reason why Harrison Ford went on to have a career and she didn't. Right. She's a good comedian, I guess, if you like that. If you like that kind of comedy, Um, which is crass and gross. Yeah. Yeah. But she can play kind of crass and hard edged, which is what Ryan Johnson leaned into. But if you want, which was smart, which was smart. But, but what, if what you basically need at the end of the day is mother, Carrie Fisher is not your woman. She's just not. She can't give it to you. She doesn't want to. I'm not giving you mother and stranger things. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's just, there's not a maternal bone in this woman's body and it, fine that's not what she wanted to do with her life okay whatever but don't ask her to do it in the movie it's one of those things like Adam, Dr- Adam Driver bringing gravitas you either bring it because you've got it or, or you, you don't. don't you can't say be more fatherly here or be more motherly or have more gravitas you just cast for those qualities and you either cast them well or you don't be more innocent here you know it, it doesn't work I don't know what else to say about it besides it's lame and it doesn't work. Yeah. It almost works because Adam Driver's good. Adam Driver almost makes it work, but nothing could really work. <sighs> so now we're going to get the Skywalker cameo. Yeah. The Jedi's but, weapon deserves more respect. Oh my goodness. It is so sour grapes against Last Jedi. And I feel those same sour grapes. I don't like Luke throwing away the lightsaber. But you're a professional. Right. Be a professional. Yeah. Don't sake all right guys we know the last movie was a waste of time that's so cheap and lame and it doesn't make me as someone who did think the last movie was a waste of time like you anymore i don't it makes me lose respect for you right like be a professional right for goodness sake mark hamill feels like he feels all these tensions and doesn't want to bring it they have him in a stupid wig he looks like an aging rock star or as my wife said like a giant head on a body he just he just looks bad which I, why am I saying that? Is it because I, I'm a lookist? No, it's because somebody could have made him look not dumb. It's not like Mark Hamill actually looks dumb in real life. Like we could choose a good wig. We could take some time with this. It just feels. Does it, does he even really need a wig? It well, just feels rushed. And why do give him the look from the end of last Jedi. That look was cooler than. Well, that was, you know, well, when you do a force projection, you appear as you are known. Well, now he's a ghost and ghost rules are nebulous at best, especially if we're doing special editions where Anakin can comes back back, instead of old eyebrowless man. So just have Mark Hamill look good. There's an idea. Yeah. And uh, he just looks bad. He's got like a pervy old man grin and it's just not a good scene. (laughs) I don't know what else to say say about it. So it's a bad curtain call. It's a really bad curtain call. It's so disappointing that we never got good Luke Skywalker in our Star Wars sequels. And what, here she is. She's scared of the dark side. She's scared of herself. She's going to follow in her master's footsteps. Mm-hmm. And he's just going to step out of the flames and be like, well, this is actually, I was wrong. This is stupid. And she's going to be like, oh, okay. Well, this and this is the ultimate example of the con thing. Because we have, as an audience, a relationship with Luke Skywalker, the movie wants to tell us that Ray would have that relationship. There is no reason for her to like this cranky old man that treated her like garbage and has never done anything for her. I mean, I guess his last stand against Kylo is supposed to 
solve everything. But, but she wasn't there for that. Her only experience of Luke Skywalker, I mean, at the very least, he should show up and she should have a look like a hurt puppy dog and he should have to say, hey, I'm sorry I was in a bad place. I mean, even Lucas felt that tension with Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Like when Luke goes back to Dagobah and Yoda dies and Obi-Wan comes out of the shadows, he's like, why didn't you tell me what was wrong with you? Like you said this and Vader's really my father? Like, Which, which are obvious questions that the audience is asking on behalf of the character. And the movie answers them. You can argue whether it does it well, but it answers them. Ray would be asking all kinds you of- You see, questions. I was telling the truth from a certain point of view. It's like, well, okay. The well. scene of master, like here's a smart way to apologize for Ryan Johnson while having solidarity. Lean into it and have the characters experience the emotions they would based on what happened last time. So Master Luke, I mean, I'm not going to try and write the good version of the dialogue here, but it basically would be Master Luke, you treated me like garbage. And almost made me take Kylo Ren's hand. In fact, I'd still like to take Kylo Ren's hand because you were such a poor representative of the Jedi. And now I'm just ready to throw it all all away, just like you were. Now, talk me out of it. And, yeah. and then Luke says, well, I was in a bad place and that was dumb. Yeah, I mean, Luke can just come out and say, I thought I my legacy was going to be a new Jedi Order my legacy was destruction and all of the children that I tried to train were killed. I had blood on my hands and I didn't know what to do with myself or my guilt. And I came here and you showed up and all every moment you were here asking me to train you, all I could think was what and have more blood on my hands. Like you represented to me, not hope, but failure. Right. And all I could see in you was my own failure. And I'm, and I'm sorry, I was wrong. It, you can say I was wrong, but you have to do it in a way. Right, Ryan Johnson's not unaware that Luke, Luke is being a jerk in Last exactly. Jedi. He's not selling out Ryan Johnson's vision or the second movie's vision to have Luke acknowledge. You could even have him acknowledge like, I mean, if you wanted to be clunky about it, you could probably come up with a way where he's like, yeah, I know I was treating this lightsaber like garbage, but actually you shouldn't. Yeah. Well, you know, he can come and say, look, you left, you did the right thing. You were the hero that I never could bring myself to be. And I did what I did at the end of that movie. Obviously we're not writing the dialogue. <laughs> right, <here. right. laughs> I did what I did because of you. Right. Ray, I knew you were a Palpatine. It doesn't really matter. Right. You don't have to, just because you're, my father was Darth Vader. Your father is, or grandfather is Emperor Palpatine. What matters is what we do with the life we've been given. Right. And. All we have to do is to. Yeah. Choose what rip to off do. Gandalf. Oh yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Honestly, rip off from the, the best. best. Exactly. Yeah. Your love for your friends, your hope, you still have a chance to right all the wrongs and to fix this. Well, see what you're doing there, Jake, is you're writing a Luke Skywalker or pitching a Luke Skywalker scene that pays off and deals with the Luke Skywalker that we've been given right. in this movie. Whereas J.J. Abrams, or whoever you want to blame, has no interest in pretending like we even got that Luke Skywalker. This is just a generic Luke Skywalker scene based on some idea of who Luke was from the last movies or who we think Luke should be. It's not it's not anchored to anything that ha that came before it or really anything that comes after. It's just like, hey, 
it's a Mark Cam- Hamill camel cameo. Isn't that nice? I mean, let him let him even repeat and lean into Yoda's lesson to him at the at the end there at the tree. Oh yes, and failure. Yes, let him come back and yeah, say. Fine. Let yeah. him come back and say. You know, Ray, the legacy of the Jedi is a legacy of failure. Mm-hmm. And fail forward, Ray. Exactly. Yeah. But you have a chance to learn from all of our failures, including mine. I am. I did fail you, and I'm sorry that I failed you. That doesn't just because you're building on a legacy of failure doesn't mean that you have to decide to fail now. You'll have your own failures and your own, but that doesn't mean that the force can't use your failures to produce, to save the galaxy, to produce hope, to to bring balance to the force. You know what a garbage human being I was when we hung out for a week there and the force managed to use me all these years. Maybe it can use you too. Yeah. Doesn't that give you some hope, Ray? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, the the I think the point of this is it, it actually it wouldn't be hard to at least write the bad version of the good scene. Like you uh, basically just did it, but they do the bad version of the bad scene. Yeah, it's poorly executed and it's poorly conceived of, and it's done in bad faith. And it's done in bad faith, and it disrespects the audience and rewards the trolls and the complainers. So now we've got the last long boring battle i don't know that we really need to spend a lot of time talking about this we already kind of said what i wanted to say about kylo ren's part of it or ben solo's part of it now we need to go and confront thanos <sighs> yeah it's so bad well first we're gonna have our heroes with their space battle thing set up like eh, it's just so lame there's no stakes like we spent a whole movie in a new hope Wait, and with there's Rogue a glowy One. thing in the middle of this battle that you know it even though there's an invincible fleet, we can take it down if we blow up the glowy thing. But you can't just you you can't just say that. You have to spend some time making me feel the glowy thing. You really do. I'm sorry, movie. That's not what we do. We have action, 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 action. Then we stand around in a circle where we exposit how the next in such a way to set up the next bit of action. We're all standing around in a circle. Why do we stand around in a circle? Because that's what we do. We stand around in a circle. Now, guys, there's a, there will be a glowy thing. Yep. We we need somebody needs to probably somebody on YouTube has done this. They need to take Rocket Raccoon and put him in there. Oh yeah, exactly. And, I'm standing here, whatever. <laughs> I I I mean that's what I did during the. I mean I did all this stuff during the the watching because I just hated it so much. Mm. Now we're all standing here like a bunch of idiots. Yep. You know, like, <laughs> I can stand to uh, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You know, we just had like, but like Rogue One mines so much emotion from. These battle plans, this MacGuffin, it's just a MacGuffin. It's just the thing that everybody's after in A New Hope. But you put as much weight on that thing. It's, we, 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 we're going to release an episode, maybe I guess we already did, on the first Lord of the Rings movie. And the one thing that Peter Jackson does, like it or lump it, but the one thing that he's, he does is he makes the ring as important, as much of a character. He piles as, he as much can. weight And it's effective. It's, it, it might it, not always he, be classy, but it's effective. It He's willing to rewrite characters. Rewrite plot points. He's going to rewrite Faramir. He's going to rewrite Frodo. Tom Bombadil gets the axe. All around the idea that this movie needs the ring as the MacGuffin slash character that is driving everything forward. And the ring and its corrupting influence, that is the driving force of all of these movies. And we will change and alter character accordingly. Right, which is smart. 
the dumb thing is the J.J. Abrams version of Lord of the Rings. You may not like the execution of. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, fine, whatever. The execution. I just want to. Yeah. Anybody that's not. We're not. We're to not that defending stuff. everything that happens in those movies. But, but that was not. That's not a the problem with those movies. Choice. No, no, no. It's not. The J.J. Abrams version of that movie is, uh, you know, the ring, it's really important. We need to do something. Da, da, if da, we da. don't do anything about the ring, everything before now will be lost. We just told you that, so you're stupid and you'll believe it. Okay, let's go. Now on. that we've said it, we've certainly established it emotionally. Yeah, no, that's not how it works, man. So they set up, this is the thing that everything's been building to. They literally say that four oh, or five times. And nobody's going to show up, which is... You gotta have a scene that really lands in this movie, not just in the Last Jedi, where nobody shows up. Where they ex- this is the way this movie should start. Actually, is they expect people to show up, and they don't, yeah. and it's devastating. And it's and now they're running and hiding. And it's you, you could argue that's all that Last Jedi does, I guess, but they just don't tie it together well enough. And then so that's the space battle. I don't care about the space battle at all. It does seem so perfunctory. The ghost is in there. Yeah, the ghost is in there. That's what your kids cared about. Yeah. Palpatine's showdown, also so perfunctory. Why did the Knights of Ren show up and why did they suck so bad? Yeah, boring and stupid. We've been building. This is why something we've actually- been hiding in this. One, why have the Knights of Ren been hiding in this Sith temple? Two, why do they suck so bad? I guess you can say, well, clearly. Kylo was going to face her and he told, and he said, I'm going to bring her and so be there waiting for me. Right. But then he shows up. Why did they attack him? Yeah, why isn't he just like, hey boys, I'm back. Yeah. Like, why did they attack him? Why is he able to handle all of them with no weapon? Why are they so, t- like, didn't they take down the whole Jedi Academy together? Like, This is an example of something we actually have been building up to for t- two movies. We actually have a setup that we can pay off and we're just like, eh. He can handle them without a weapon. And then when he gets the weapon, he can shrug and be like, and mow through them like they're stormtroopers. Yeah, it's like. And then we have Palpatine just, again, not being gleeful, not being interesting, not being a character, not presenting any kind of temptation that we as an audience would be tempted by, but just giving exposition. Exposition. That we haven't, that should have already been. Laid in. Laid in so that now we can feel the emotion and the weight of it. But instead it's just like, kill me and all the Sith will pass into you. Why? I don't know. This yeah. is the thing that's going to happen. The power of two restores the one true emperor. A dyad in the force. A dyad in the force. Oh, okay. That's a thing. Why we didn't we? made that up. We should have known about Kylo that. Kylo Ren figured it out earlier in the movie and said it, but it didn't land because we had no idea what he was talking about. It would be like if in like Raiders of the Lost Ark, we never actually said what the Ark was. And then we got to the last scene and they're like, oh, by the way, it might may or may not have the power of God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it may or may not be dangerous. I don't know. Let's, let's find out. Ah! <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we have no idea why we're searching for this thing. I mean, really, honestly, that's yeah. that's how dumb this is. Palpatine looks good in red. He's got a nice. He's got a nice, a nice outfit. That's. Red. He wears red. Yeah, he's got like a red kind of under clothing or something oh, okay. like that. Uh, and now all the Jedi live in Ray for some reason. I'm going to tell you what the most moving thing about this movie was for me watching it. The thing that sort of nothing moved me emotionally about this movie, but the thing that kind of moved me about this movie, my wife likes to watch these movies with subtitles and the subtitles showed you who showed me, showed me who each one of those voices were. And that was kind of moving. Oh, it's Mace. Oh, it's Kanan. Oh, it's ahsoka oh it's this person it's that person oh it's anakin again like each one of those subtitles i was like oh that character's got rays back yeah too bad they didn't just let them appear as force ghosts 
or something, anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. This movie could have been redeemed with the Rogue One of all Rogue One Holloway scenes where all our heroes show up and I mean and bust up. They really they really tried to make the arrival of the fleet of people try to land with the weight of the portal scene. You don't know any of those people. Right. Whereas you, you do- don't care about them. It's Lando. And if you're a kid or somebody who's invested in rebels, you spot the ghost. Right. And, 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 and you don't even know who's on it. Like at this point, nobody you know, for all, for all you know, you don't even know who's piloting the ghost. We've got Wedge, who I didn't even recognize. We didn't, yeah. Yeah. Wedge into. We've got Jory, Zori Bliss, who I don't care about. Exactly. Why didn't we flash inside the ghost and show Hera or uh, Hera and Kanan's son mm-hmm. with Chopper there? Like, why, why can't we just have those moments? Why would you not give us those moments? Like, no, it just feels like it, it feels like they hate us. <laughs> I mean, it honestly, really does. It, like, it feels well, and it feels like they hate you if you like anything. If you're the kind of person that invested in the TV show instead of just investing in those dumb sequel movies, then they don't want to reward you. They don't want to. In reward fact, they you want to it. flirt with rewarding you and then snatch the treat away from you. Yeah, it's like the reason we didn't get Force Ghosts here is because we did not want to reward you by putting an Ahsoka Force Ghost into this movie. Yeah, I mean, these kinds of movies are all about what to pay off and when to pay it off. And it's like, and, and when to pander to the audience, like, you know, that the audience is going to clap with the portal scene, but you've earned it. Right. This movie wants you to, wants to pander to you by saying it's wedge. Oh, and then later the most pandering thing of all time, Chewie got a medal. You know how all you nerds complain about Chewie not getting a medal in a new hope? Well, now he got a medal. Some random character gave him a medal. Aren't you? It's like, no, don't pander to me there. Pander to me with like by having Anakin that's that's what would make that's yeah. what would be a satisfactory pandering yeah like all you really needed in that last moment i mean honestly if you had the force ghost you don't need any other force ghosts you just you have hayden christians christiansen's show up mm-hmm. right there with kylo ren with ben solo ray yeah and he just needs to bend down and say I don't know what the line is, but something that says the force is with you. I don't know. You know, we've been here all along. Yeah. He can say, hi, my name's Anakin Skywalker. That would be sweet. That would be awesome. (laughs) That would make us cry, but they would never do something that cool. He can can say, hello, Ray. My name's Anakin Skywalker. And, and a generation of kids would suddenly be invested in. Exactly. And everything in the history of the galaxy has led up to this moment and we're all with you. And then you can pan back and you can see an army of Jedi with Obi-Wan and Mace Windu and Luke right there. It's like Star Wars is so blatantly metaphorical and over the top and image, like you can actually do the angels of heaven looking down on the heroic yeah. martyr doing their thing. Like no other what? movie will give you the leeway to just do a scene that corny and that ridiculous, you know, no, no other right. movie will let you just take the most blatant let's, mythology let's, and just do it. But star Wars lets you do it. Let, 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 let's have Anakin go to Ben and say, hi, I'm your grandfather. 
you've been looking for me in all the wrong places. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That'd be great. But instead we get Palpatine doing a lame face-melting thing. Because J.J. sure, ever since he saw Raiders in theaters as a kid, had been waiting for this moment. Yep. Thanks for that. Yep. Hated it. Uh, yep. That's the last battle. I, think, I don't know. I don't even want to dignify and it this is the consummate like Voldemort. So much, much of this movie does feel like Harry Potter, and it that was feels like Harry Potter. And it, down to the fact that we just feel the plot grinding where the characters don't. It's like they aped what's were like. What does J.K. Rowling do the worst? Can we rip that off? Yeah. Well, she likes to front load a bunch of plot machinations and not really put the work in to make the moral weight of it feel sink in and the character weight of it sink in. Let's do that. Let's do that. In fact, <laughs> let's do it way worse than she does it. Uh, hey, look, phone, phone and pin. There I go again. Phone Ben. Uh, Poe and Finn. They're like Ron and Hermione. Yay. Yay. Hey, look, you know, we're on a mission to find the Horcruxes. Hey, look, Voldemort's gonna strike a killing blow but it's gonna rebound at him uh, yeah by the way it was dumb to strike him down and kill him before but now it's good exactly well no it's a rebound he's not she's not actually she's just defending herself and he just keeps uh, melting his own face off by shooting the force she, lightning at him she so. seemed pretty intent on killing palpatine right i think she a little hatred was flowing through ray right there but whatever See, it was when she was able to combine Leia's lightsaber with Anakin slash Luke's lightsaber, then she was able, because now she had the 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 Elder Wand. The Elder Wand, yeah. You know, it's really all about the wands. Uh, ben Solo crawls up out of the hole. What's the least interesting thing we can do with this? We can have Ben die and Ray live. Okay, let's do that. Um <laughs> Ben's going to come back. He's going to restore Ray to life because Ray is dead. Mm -hmm. He's going to resurrect Ray with the power that we've had all along that Anakin wished he had for some and sold out for. Yeah. And then, wow, man, how are we going to keep them from going back and forth? I know. We'll just make Ben disappear. Yep. Which, man. Is also incredibly unearned because... The fact is, I mean, know your Star Wars lores, JJ. The only two Jedi to ever simply disappear are Yoda and Obi-Wan because they had been trained. Mm -hmm. Anakin is special. And sure, Ben's a special case, but man, like they had to work. It's just so bad. It's dumb. And it is the least interesting. Like Ben survives, Ray dies. Cool ending, interesting. Leaves some leaves space for them to make the animated adventures of Ben, whatever. Make more Ben movies, great. Uh, Ray and Ben both live. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, ben dies. I mean, I know Ben had to die because he had too much blood on his hands, but still boring. Chewie gets a medal, super lame. Ray it's goes. Hans old medal. Yeah, I don't We're care. Supposed to feel. I feel nothing. Uh, Ray goes to a place that means nothing to her and does something that means nothing to us. And the credits roll. Yep. <laughs> but we get that twin sunset. And oh, look, BB-8 was designed based on the twin sunset all along. In the, or slash sunrise. Oh, is that a thing? I think I've checked out every time I've watched that movie enough to... 
at the sunset, they overlap the uh, suns for half a second. There you go. And it looks, and then they flash back and BB-8 standing there and he's a mirror of the mm-hmm. setting suns. Well, this is the worst Star Wars movie. That's my culminating thought. I would much, here, here's, the, here's the true litmus test. I would way rather watch Last Jedi than this. Me too. A million times I would watch Last Jedi before I would watch this again. Last Jedi, at least I could be angry with in interesting ways. At least I could engage with the movie, what the movie's doing. But this is just a waste of my time. Well, honestly, the only fun in this trilogy for me right now is imagining fun ways to try to save it. Mm-hmm. And Last Jedi leaves lots of avenues Last open. Last Jedi leaves lots of ways to save at least Luke and Ben mm-hmm. and make that movie land and make the first two movies work together. This movie- But th- this movie- Is insistent on cutting off every avenue of escape. It gives you, it gives you absolutely nothing to work with. I, I can't imagine how you would do it. I can't, I can't figure it out. Maybe somebody more clever than me will. Maybe Filoni or some other guy- at I don't. Well, here's what Lucas, I or at Disney, and you would have to be. Filoni was able to basically not say that anything in that George Lucas tried to set up in the prequels didn't happen. I think if you wanted to fix this movie, you would have to just blatantly be like, the thing that it really seemed like happened, like the training that Leia definitely gave, according to that movie, actually didn't happen. Oh, Ray was communing with Force ghosts all along. You but know? something happened that cut her off from them. Right. Like, you could do things like that. That's the only way you right, could begin exactly. to. Uh, something happened that, yeah, you would have to basically, that, that would be what it would, would, have to, would have to be. You'd show this whole, actually a lot of time passed between The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And in that time, Kylo Ren's reorganizing and Ray is being trained by the Force Ghosts, mm-hmm. and all this stuff is happening and building up. And Luke comes to Leia and says, "Actually, Leia, you've got to finish this because of reasons, and it's going to prepare you to because you're the only one that can save Ben. And we never realized this till now; nobody did. And you could do all of that, and then have something traumatic happen with Ray." where she feels cut off or just make Luke say, I've taken you as far as I can now and I'm going to disappear on you. Bye. Goodbye. You got to look to Leia. Yeah. Like maybe there's a smart way you could actually try to pull something like that off, but it is a, it would be a, another, a middle finger to this movie now. I mean, there's there's just no way to do it. There's your evisceration of rise of Skywalker folks. I hope you're happy. Yeah. I thought this movie smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> That's a line from Star Wars. Get it? Any final thoughts on Rise of Skywalker? Uh, it's bantha fodder. That's what I think. I mean, I, I just... That was going to be my until next time. Uh, oh, well, um, here. Uh, Sanity at the, no, no, no. That's all right. <laughs> Sanity of the Movies was produced by me, executive produced by us. Go to patreon.com forward slash Sanity at the Movies for lots more Star Wars talk. We talk about it every week there. Behind the paywall there. And until next time, folks, Bantha Fodder. Fodder.